episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on May the 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Game Psychologist, and with me, as always, laughing his head off. <laughs> Caffeine rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played this past week. We'll be discussing the May Game Club, which is Fault Milestone 1. We'll be talking about our next two Game Club games. We'll have a weekly community corner where we talk about Game Club coming up for next week. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. I've had a stroke. I'm just going to go now, and Rage can run the show tonight. Uh, so, it, uh, are you trying to figure out uh, why everything smells like burnt toast? Yes. God, it took me... We're going to peek behind the curtain, dear listener. You'll get to hear the whole thing at some point in a Franken episode, but I just spent nearly, like, five minutes forgetting how to do the show intro that I've done... 150 something times at this point. <laughs> I just forgot. I had to go listen well, to last week's episode to remember how to do the show intro. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe uh, you should go check your blood sugar because you also were tr- was opening Steam to try to op- uh, to get to voice chat. I was, yeah, I was really struggling opening Steam a bunch of times. I did check it actually when I got up to go help my son fix his clock. Uh, I was like, maybe I'm, but no, I'm good. I'm in the green. Oh, so you're just having a dumb. Yeah, I'm just having a dumb. My brain is probably fried. I had 13 sessions today, and, well, not everyone showed up, but I still had way too many counseling sessions today. And also, like, I had a spike of adrenaline. I was, I am applying for the clinic director position. My old clinic director is leaving. Friday is her last day. And, uh... Well, that's kind of soon. Well, I mean, I've known for a couple of weeks now. And I wasn't going to apply because I was, I'm not licensed yet, but they were like, oh no, the way that we do our billing, you don't have to be licensed to be the clinic director. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm applying for that position then. I'm the only person that's applied from within our office. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's open first to people that are in the company. And then if no one is chosen from in the company, it will go outside to, you know, the general population, hireable population. But, I applied, so who knows? Maybe in a couple of weeks I'll be getting a big promotion. But I was very excited to apply. That'll give me access to a lot more resources and more money. I won't be seeing as many, maybe not any clients, which would kind of be sad. But also, it'll give me some experience on a different side of the business. Plus, make it easier for me to get my license, because I'll be the one who's in charge of those resources for the clinic. So... You know, that's a little self-serving, but they promised me that I was going to get my license while I was there, so. Yeah, right now you're on your learner's permit. Uh, you have to, uh, you have to ask somebody in the, uh, on the couch with you as you drive it around. <laughs> I did have to do that at one point, actually. I'm well past that, but I did have to used to have a supervisor in the room with me while I was doing therapy with people. That's very weird and awkward, but I've also now been the supervisor for someone, and it's kind of fun to be in that position. There were some clients that were, like, good clients that I would just, like, sit behind the person I was supervising and, like, make faces at the client. (laughs) It was only slightly disruptive to therapy. Hello, Rach. 
Did I say that? I don't think I said that. Continuing my night of stroke. How are you? Uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm terribly confused. Well, that makes two of us tonight, buddy. We'll just muddle through, which granted, that's not too different from how we usually do it, but we won't be pretending tonight. Are, are you sure that you're not melting another organ? Because I God, think you kind of need your brain. I hope not. I don't have too many more of those to spare. I guess I could lose a kidney or maybe a lung. Otherwise, I don't want to lose any of my other organs. Well, then uh, I would suggest not doing that. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Um, games. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I just, uh, uh, I, the visual novel database has at the very bottom of it, a, a random quote from a game. And I, I need to read mine because, uh, it says, I'm going to masturbate. So can you please get out? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, if you insist, I, I mean, I don't mind to stick around and watch or maybe help, but if you really want some privacy, I'll I'll give you that. Uh, what did yours say? It's at the uh, very bottom. Uh, all the way to the bottom of the page. <laughs> what? Just duel me, I said. <laughs> does it change if I refresh the page? Yes, it does. Miko, don't let that dick escape. Oh, and it's also, like- if you click it, it takes you to uh, the... Visual novel that it's from. <laughs> I, it's like she's thinking that my reasoning is broken and I will transform myself into a criminal if I don't have anything to masturbate to by midnight. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, I agree. I need to masturbate by midnight. Clock's ticking, Rage. Let's get this, let's get going. Oh, uh, like that would stop you. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Nothing would stop me from masturbating if I really wanted to, except maybe the police. Yeah, but then they'll, uh, you know, then you'll just ask them, oh, can I at least finish first? <laughs> I'm just, it's the wrong podcast for me to tell sex stories. <laughs> another time, another time. Oh, well, uh, should we get on to a different story then? Let us do that. So... Games that we played this week. I've got two. You've got one. Do you yeah, want me to sandwich you, or do you want to take, do your one, and then I'll do my two? I'm not falling for that one again. Okay. Uh, let, let me just get uh, my anger out. Okay. So I got into the beta for Mario Kart Tour, which is the mobile version of uh, well Mario Kart. It's the new Mario Kart game that's coming out. Free to play. So, you know, my expectations were low. So oh, once I got into it, and I yeah started poking around, I started getting that feeling. Uh, you you know that feeling whenever you're uh, out for a walk, which I know you know it's already you know, getting there, right? Uh, you know, out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah, I'll, but, I'll go uh, to the gym and run on the treadmill, but fuck going outside for a walk, uh, especially in this heat. It yeah, was ninety some today, but and, you know you're out for a walk. And you step in a fresh dog turd. That's the feel. I, that's the feeling I had when I opened up Mario Kart. Because the first thing they have you do is roll the gotcha machine to get your first character. This is a gotcha-based kart game. 
And all the racers have various attributes. And, of course, the rarer the racer, the stronger they are. And on various tracks, there's uh, they have various strengths and weaknesses. So, and the rarer of the... Uh, of, well, it's not just racers, I might add. It's racers, gliders, because they use the modern uh, Mario Kart method where you're occasionally gliding along. And the carts themselves. All of them have various strengths on various tracks. Some of them are stronger on other on uh, certain tracks, and uh, some of them are much stronger on certain tracks. And the rarer the, uh, the cart, glider, or racer, the more tracks that they're uh, either slightly more uh, uh, stronger or a lot stronger on. So, you know, you could already see, you know, oh, shit, this is pay to win out the wazoo, huh? Yeah, I, so, I, I see where, where you're going with this. Yeah, well, let me tell you what the various things do, okay? So, there's, uh, like I said, there's three different things that you can pull out of the gotcha, and it's, uh, for now, just one pipe, and that's what they call it, pulling things out of the pipe. Personally, I think they're pulling it out of something else, but mm. but you have the racers that whenever they hit an item block, if a racer is let's just call it attuned to that track, you know either there uh, there's essentially no uh, no bonuses, a slight bonus or a major bonus. No bonuses, you get one item, pretty much standard Mario Kart. You're slightly attuned, you get two items. If that's a track that that character's strong on, fully attuned. Which they don't use the term attuned, but yeah, right. Uh, they get three items, and they unlock the ability to go on to frenzy mode, which essentially gives you a speed boost, gives you the star power, and then whatever item you hit three of, uh, essentially the slot machine, uh, you're able to fire off as much as you want for a short period of time. So if you get like the blue shell. Yo, pretty much everybody is screwed. Not that anyone would know because this is a single player experience with leaderboards and I'm not sure if the AI is tied to a ghost Tom or if it's just the AI just, you know, uh, copying a name and that's it. But there's, it's all AI, which leads to real, some real frustration because what's the AI in Mario Kart do? What do they do? Yes. Uh, they have rubber banding mechanics and Out they the catch wazoo. up to you really fast. Well, well, you just repeated yourself, but they have rubber banding uh, like crazy. And they play a little game called Let's Screw Over the Player. Ah, uh, yes, because the farther back you are in Mario Kart, the more likely you are to get more powerful items. Well, not just that, but they outright aim at the player. And also, they have some really, really good aim. I mean, impossibly good aim, especially for uh, firing behind them, which that, that's something else that uh, drives me crazy about this game. And uh, this is a non-sequitur. We'll go on to this and we'll go back to what the uh, gotcha mechanics do. So the game is played. Well, you're. You play a racing game, you would expect it to be in portrait or in landscape mode, right? It's played in portrait mode. You can't see a damn thing. Uh, especially on a tight uh, turn or a turn that's banked, which it's a good thing the Mario Kart series is you know, pretty well known for very twisty tracks, right? 
Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, don't worry because it's one touch controls. And the cart uh, is pretty much it's essentially a a cart game mixed with the endless runner. Okay. You That's don't control the acceleration at all. Only thing you do is you control the uh, the steering, and there's invisible walls like crazy. So some of the sh- the shortcuts that were in previous Mario Kart games, which the game copies a lot from previous games on its track list, uh, mostly from the uh, the dual uh, the DS era and the GameCube era. Uh, but with some going all as far back as SNES and uh, N64, but not many. Uh, some of the tracks that require you to do uh, a certain acceleration uh, to hit a shortcut, only way you're doing that is with a mushroom now. And okay. also drifting can be a real pain because there is a manual drift mode, but I just wasn't able to do it that well. And because there's invisible walls over the place, and because you have essentially just a very narrow slice of view, if there's a turn, that, uh, let's say uh, there's, uh, I'm blanking on the track names, unfortunately, but there's one track that uh, the shortcut is essentially you go around an S turn, and there's a ramp that is uh, like right before, uh, right in the middle of the S turn. And before and after is invisible walls, so you have to turn pretty much perfectly. But because you're passing it, you can't see when to turn, so it's a complete guess. And you can't even slow down because... Eh. And uh, it uses uh, the track on uh, the N64 game that has the train on it. You want uh, The desert one? Like the yeah, Wild West yeah, the, one? Yeah, yeah, the desert one. So, uh, if you're trying to... Uh, yeah. Oh, the train is coming, but if I just slow down a little bit, I won't hit it. So I could uh, not, uh, you know, have to do that while just fly up in the air for a bit. Can't do that. It's just befuddling some of the design in this, particularly that. But let me get back onto the gotcha mechanics. Okay. So, so you have the uh, the racers that uh, dictate the number of items that you get per item block. And there's also the chance that whenever you pull an item block, you just get a coin, which is added to your overall currency, assuming you don't lose it by getting hit, which let's assume that you are because you are. Uh, the cart is a flat out speed boost. And also as you level up these things by getting multiples of them, which some are, you know, good luck getting multiples of because, you know, it's like a 0.5% chance. Uh, you get stronger bonuses. You, uh, you get uh, point bonuses, which I'll get into the points in a little bit. But eventually, it becomes a even stronger boost. So you can see where the grind and the pay-to-win mechanics are really coming into play now, huh? Yeah. The glider, though, is the uh, is the most atrocious uh, of the bonuses. So you think getting a speed boost is bad? The glider, if you have a, a fully attuned glider for a track, it takes away most of the random chance of the item blocks. So if you're in the lead, you'll only get items that are useful to you. If you're way behind, you'll get a very, very strong uh, possibility of blue shells, of bullet bill power-ups, of uh, the super mushroom where you just grow really big and just drive over everyone. It's just crazy. Oh, and, 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 and. Each of the gliders has their special power-up 
that also affects the uh, uh, the uh, roll chance. So, like a particular glider may uh, have a chance to uh, to or increase the chance of getting uh, uh, mushrooms, while another one may increase the chance of getting shells and that sort of thing. And if that glider is attuned to that track even slightly, you start the race with one. And start of course, the race with a glider. No, no, no. You start a race with the item. Oh, okay. Which the AI or the the players in massive sarcasm quotes uh, usually are at least slightly attuned, and sometimes uh, you know, have the trifecta. You know, the player or the character, the or cart, and the glider. Which good luck catching them. So there's been many times that I'll start a race, and then I'll just have you know a half a dozen. Uh, uh, ink blots on my uh, screen from various power-ups being used on me or just get blown up two or three times. It is infuriating to say the least. Uh, and you know, it completely takes away from the rocket start, which uh, gets, uh, uh, takes away points, which let's get into points. So, and let's say every other Mario Kart game. How do you progress through the cups? Um, you beat the previous campaign or previous tournament and you unlock the next one. And then also by doing that, you unlock the faster CC classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll get into the CC classes in a little bit, but in this, uh, well, you pretty much have to win by points, right? Yeah. Uh, over the course of the tournament. And this, instead, uh, progression is tied to stars, right? Each okay. of the th- uh, well, each cup is four uh, races. One of them is a challenge mode, which could vary on di- different things. Sometimes it's a gliding challenge to get a certain distance. Sometimes it's just a you know a hot lap, uh, be a certain time trial. Sometimes it's a head-to-head one-on-one race. So there's a nice variety there, and that's always just three stars if you complete it with uh, beating a certain condition, getting a certain distance, or uh, you know, beating by a certain amount of time, that sort of thing. The races themselves uh, each have six stars. And to progress, you need uh, every of the stars except for like two or three. All right. And it's tied to a point total, which is uh, accumulated by doing actions in a race. And you're starting a character glider and cart combo. As well as the CC class you are, uh, are running as a multiplier. So in this Mario Kart game, it actually pays off to lose and to hang back and just constantly spam powerful items because they give you a lot of points and also hitting other racers gives a lot of points. It's a paradox. Am I the only one that's seeing this? Is weird? That does sound weird. And the plateaus for each of the stars, it just gets ridiculous to the point that in order to hit the six star uh, total, you essentially have to grind out because as you gain experience on the car, the uh, racer and the cart, uh, their starting points goes up as well as the CC glass. So the more often that you get in the top three, uh, that slowly ticks up uh, as a bigger starting bonus, as well as a little bit of a multiplier. 
until it hits a cap. So there's this weird, okay, well, you have no chance of getting six stars. You're going to have to go work on the challenges. What the challenges could be obnoxious. Uh, hit 200 green shells uh, while uh, using a character that has a, uh, that wears a shell. Well, good luck if you haven't, uh, yeah, done the gotcha enough, right? Or, yeah. uh, some are uh, easier than that, uh, just, you know, like win 10 times or something, but it has a bingo mechanic where if you get three in a row, you, know, you get a bonus. And also, if you get the entire thing, you get gems, which is the premium currency, which might I add is the only way to get pulls on the gotcha machine. They give them you, they give them to you occasionally for level ups on your overall account. Essentially, as you gain stars, you uh, gain experience for your account that levels up and you get five, uh, st- uh, five gems like every other level until, uh, uh, later on. And also the leaderboard, if you do well on that, you'll get gems. So there is way to progress, but it is so agonizingly slow. Each pull of the gotcha is five gems. With a 10x, uh, being 45. So you get, oh, you get the 10th one free. Woo. Ooh. But, uh, they disabled, uh, the microtransactions. So, you know, they're being nice about that, but they just exposed just how obnoxiously slow everything is to get. Which is, yeah. You know, uh, this is a racing game that has so many damn roadblocks on it. I mean, even to unlock the next cup, it's, uh, first, it's, you know, oh, it's uh, five seconds. That's not bad. Then it's a minute. Oh, then it's five minutes. Uh, I've seen people talking about how the later cups that you get are 24 hours. That's a long time. Yes, it's a day. To play Mario Part. Cart. That's why I said Mario Kart. Yeah, I heard Part. Pretty sure I said Cart, but honestly, I might have said Part. I'm having a stroke tonight, so... <laughs> Well, you do have to masturbate before midnight. I do. I do indeed. But, yeah, it's just... There's just so much here that angers me. That's not to say that I didn't have fun occasionally, but for every moment that was kind of fun, it was like, oh, well, I'm I'm out of heart, so oh, that's the stamina mechanic. I have to uh, wait for that to regenerate, which you could only have five hearts at a time. Or you could regenerate to five hearts if you get lucky, you'll uh, actually get more than that uh, on level ups. But, you know, it's, that's a roadblock. The uh, unlocks are a roadblock. Getting good pulls on the gotcha is another roadblock. There's just so many roadblocks here. It just you know, boggles the mind. Yeah. And plus, you know, the whole playing in portrait mode is off-putting to me. Uh, you steer with a, it's a one-touch mechanic. So, uh, essentially... You hold and uh, swipe left or right to turn, and then you flick up or down to uh, use a power up, and that's it. That's all the controls there is. So it it's a very watered down game. That sounds kind of familiar to how the game plays. If you turn on like the, uh, it's not just like the kid mode, but like the super easy mode. mode. Yeah, where it does most of the driving and stuff for you. And then you just kind of lazily steer left or right and press the button for to use power-ups. Yeah, I mean, this is about on par with that. Which, it's a shame because uh, the fact that they're pulling from the uh, the archives, essentially, for uh, a lot of uh, the content. 
Uh, it can be viewed as lazy, and I do view it as that as well, but also the fact that, you know, this could be a Mario Kart game that has all the legacy content in it, plus new stuff, eventually. But, yeah, there's just so much grind there, and so, that's just irritating, because that, that, that that's the thing, is that Mario Kart has a degree of randomness to it already. So, losing out on precious uh, stamina because the AI decided to take you over, there was once I got hit by three blue shells in a row. Yeah, that's not cool. That doesn't. I wouldn't say that that never happens in, you know, the console. No, no, the, no. Kart. This was from the same racer. Ah, uh, he had a frenzy going on. And that's the other thing is that, uh, it feels like it's built around essentially just gathering as many characters as you can and only play them if they are essentially attuned to the racetrack. So you don't really have a main anymore. Like, uh, I ended up, I think my first character was Toad, which is a character I don't like playing, but because he does have, uh, stats on this outside of his, uh, yeah, bonus that, uh, I can't recall what Toad's is. Uh, but, uh, you know, a slight po- point bonus, but that's it. You know, it strips them from uh, all, all the strategy of picking a racer as well. It takes away all the character from them, ironically enough. Uh, trying to think of what else. Uh, there was a fun, like, mini game that uh, uh, you eventually get tickets for. Or you can just pay to play, you know, with premium currency, of course. Where you're... Uh, Golden Mario going around Rainbow Road, uh, collecting coins uh, as a bonus to get extra of the uh, non-paid currency. But the non-paid currency almost feels like a joke because the only time that really comes into play is in the shop to buy something upright. So uh, every day you have six items that rotate in on, it's not a 24-hour timer, but it's like a 20-hour timer or something like that. Uh, and it's, uh, like usually a cart, uh, a glider, and then three consumables and something else. Like I never saw a racer in, uh, there. I'm not sure if it's possible or if I just have bad luck for it, but, uh, the, uh, things that could show up there are like a bonus levels for, uh, the cart. So, uh, if you have it where... Uh, you have a race that you're trying to get, uh, but your cart is too low. You could buy a ticket for it to essentially boost its level uh, to get the uh, starting points up to make it a little bit easier to you know, be able to actually finish the race and get a decent amount of points to get the uh, point plateau. Which, that, that's like I said, that's what really got me was that there's so much artificial uh, lengthening in this game. That it just got frustrating that, oh, well, I finished all the races, I won them all, but I didn't win them enough, or I didn't get enough points in them. So I either have to go rerun those, or see if there's a challenge I could do that uh, will get me enough stars, because they the challenges also give stars, thankfully, otherwise I wouldn't have progressed. And some of the point plateaus are just absurd, like seven or 8,000 points when I was getting 4,000 and winning the race with it. So it feels like it's one of those things that you come back much, much later when you're high level and just annihilate. 
Well, not like as much as Mario Kart will let you, though. Yeah. Let's see what else was there. Uh, I, I did like that they kind of shook things up on the final level of all the uh, challenge modes. Uh, oh, I should say with all the challenge modes. Uh, that was a, a good choice, I feel like. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't even give you the full six stars. So it doesn't give you extra breathing room. I think every level was like, a. am going to say like you have to get 20 stars or something like that. It didn't give you a lot of breathing room. And I saw people complaining about plateauing in a cup or two after where I just gave up on the game. Which I could definitely see, you know, that happening because, oh, I, I was starting to hit it already. But then again, you know, I don't have the patience for this bullshit. I actually stuck with it much longer than I would have usually because, you know, I wanted to just, I wanted to see how far it would go and also have, you know, content for the podcast. Right. It does not sound good. Yeah, I'm sure, it, because it's Mario Kart and Nintendo made it, it'll get, it'll make yeah. a bajillion dollars and everyone will love it. Yeah, that's the thing is that it seems like they're leaning more and more on the microtransaction model because Mario uh, Infinite Runner or Mario Run it was, uh, didn't sell as well, but and also it was a $10 Infinite Runner game. Uh, so, you know, you could kind of see the problem there, right? Yeah. Couldn't you play a certain amount of it for free, though? Yeah, a little bit, which I think uh, kind of hurt them in the long run because it, they saw that it was a, you know not a $10 game, right? Yeah, I would I would think that. So, yeah, I think that's why they've gone more and more on the um, mobile-esque uh, microtransactions. I mean, this has pretty much everything they can think of. It has timers, it has stamina, uh, it has, you know, uh, multiple currencies it has what well, loot boxes? Well, gotcha mechanics, but loot, it's a loot box by any other name, right? Yeah. Uh, massive pay to win. Uh, absolute frustration. But then again, that's Mario Kart for you. Oh, it's just I, I was I, I wasn't having a lot of hope for this because yo, know, it is a bubble game. But even though I tempered my expectations, oh boy, did they come under them. I still think that we need to, you know, look into a flight to Japan because I think we need to schedule intervention at this point. <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, Nintendo, we, okay, we kind of like you, but you need to stop. You're hurting <laughs> yourself. And you're hurting us. Well, until I installed the game, then I felt a lot better. Fair. That's fair. So, any other questions? I don't think so. I, I mean, mean, this I, I mean you saw me rant about it uh, for a bit. Uh, when I, yeah, was start, uh, just starting to play because, yeah, like I said, I opened it up and it immediately throws you into a gotcha game. And, yeah, that's not a good sign, especially for a racing game. Because, yeah, they have to make those ultra rares be uh, very uh, tempting. They have to give a reason for it. Uh, the fact that they put uh, coins in the uh, item blocks, though, it's just annoying. The well, the coins are already in the item blocks in Mario Kart on the consoles, and the coins are used... What do the coins do? Oh, they, they raise your score, like, there's like this score that you have in more modern Mario Kart games that is like, 
you unlock stuff overall. So maybe they're more like points that you go into and you can collect 10 well, per like race. Like experience points? Yeah, they, you can collect up to 10 per race and they get banked and go towards unlocking stuff. So, um, like different carts and I mean, it's all, you know, just cosmetic. Well, no, some of the different carts have different stats, but it's not like one of them is clearly better than the other one. They just suit different play styles. But there is a lot of cosmetic stuff you can unlock. But anyways, yeah, you can bank up to 10 Well, that's the thing. Is like none of this is technically cosmetic because, uh, you know, you may, uh, in the Luigi Cup, you know, uh, one race may be attuned to Luigi. So, you know, if you have Luigi, you're at a strong advantage. Plus, uh, you know, whatever cart is uh, paired with them. So, you know, like the one that has the vacuum cleaner on it and, you know, uh, the uh, glider that goes with that. Well, you know, you're good to go then. But the next cup, you know, it may not be attuned to Luigi and Luigi may be a terrible character for it. So if you haven't put, done more pulls in the uh, gotcha machine, uh, you're, you're going to have a lot harder time. And the Mario Kart has this kind of bell curve where if you're way behind, you're, uh, you know, you're, you have a good chance of uh, catching up. And if you're way ahead, you're, you know, well, I guess bell curve isn't the proper term, but uh, you're uh, going to be kind of screwed unless you, know, you get lucky. But then if you're in the middle, oh, you are so screwed. Because you get crossfire from people behind you and people ahead of you. And the AI loves to go after the player. I think that's also a, a real disappointment, is that there's no multiplayer or no multiplayer minigames at all. I mean, that feels like a really weird uh, admission, you know? Yeah. I mean... Mario Kart, in recent iterations, the online multiplayer has been lackluster. It's always been more focused on couch uh, split screen. But, I mean, you still could just go online and look for matches. And a couple iterations ago, it was you had to, like, have someone's Nintendo number or whatever to to find them. Oh, and then, in more recent years, they just had, like, you know, matchmaking. You could quick join a race. Or, you know, you could look for specific races, but it was always easier just to quick join. So, not having multiplayer on mobile seems like an oversight or a mistake. From the sounds of it, uh, from people that picked apart the uh, package file, it doesn't even have a framework for multiplayer. It just has everything local with uh, the bots, uh, you know, downloading a list of names, it sounds like. So, it doesn't even sound like, you know, uh, you know the player that, you, that just beat you that's not even a ghost Tom of theirs or, you know, the AI trying to match it because, you know, the, the AI, if they had just had a ghost, wouldn't be able to match it unless they did a lot of fudging, which, yeah, Mario Kart AI cheating? Nah, never, right? Yeah, they would never do that. They've always designed excellent, intelligent AI. And fair. Don't forget fair. Yes. Oh. Yeah, but I think... This is a hard pass unless they do a lot of reworking, which honestly I don't see them doing it because, you know, it's a mobile game. Woo. 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 Woo! <laughs> Alrighty. Is that all of your... Do you feel cleansed? Do you feel free? Uh, a little bit, but I kind of still want to schedule that intervention. Fair enough. Well... You know, you'll just can... uh, just uh, slap the Kool Aid, uh, the microtransaction Kool Aid out of. Uh, uh, and now I'm blanking on the president of the, uh, Nintendo's name now, because they just changed uh, recently. 
uh, but smack it out of his hand. It's like, no. No. Um, well, let's see. I mean, Bowser is the Nintendo America president. Yeah, which is hilarious. We should just rename the uh, CEO to Peach. Tatsumi Kimishimi. Kimishama? I apologize for, for horribly mispronouncing your name. Oh, that, oh, that's one other thing. I realize beta is beta, but I did have a little bit of a stutter on some tracks, which I think it's fair to say I shouldn't. Yeah, you've got a very high-end phone, one of the highest ends of phones. I mean, it was one of those yeah, momentary things, but I'm also running the latest version of Android, so they may not be running for that, you know, or gunning for that. You mean they'd be targeting iOS more, or because I mean, if they were going for budget, I, I would say Android that, phones. Uh, uh, that's the thing is that I, I didn't see people complaining that much about uh, performance unless they were on very low end phones. So that's why I'm thinking that they just weren't uh, utilizing Android Pie as well, which I have run into before. Is that yeah? There's just something about Pie, which outside of just being delicious, uh is uh, there's something going on in the background that sometimes makes games run a little funky or just crash. Like Oxenfree uh, just doesn't work at all, which is annoying. Gotcha. Do you use the Samsung Game Launcher? Because you can... No. There are a very few amount of settings that you can customize in there for like perf- game performance. No, let's just put it this help. way. Uh, first thing I did was I turned off the One UI. Uh, the Samsung thing. Mm-hmm. And I went to a Nova Launcher. Gotcha. Mostly because I prefer Nova Launcher. And it's, yo, know, I'm an old man. I go back to what I'm uh, comfortable with. Makes sense. And you know what I'm not comfortable with? You kids be on my fucking lawn. Fair enough. Um, okie dokie. And I'm also not comfortable with the amount of microtransactions in Mario Kart Tour. That is also a fair point that I would agree with, even though I haven't played it. It sounds like it's quite bad. Or I mean, quite I showed normal you. by mobile standards, which is quite bad. I mean, I showed you some of the stuff. Yeah, you sent me some screenshots. So, uh, your game, which you stole from me. Indeed. So I'm going to talk about Guild of Dungeoneering, although I played it on mobile. Uh, so I put I left the Steam link from last time and then added the Google Play Store link. Yeah, uh, it is charming, isn't it? Yeah, so overall thoughts to, you know, basically pretty much everything that you said from last week. If you want to know more about the game's sort of ins and outs, uh, you can go listen to last week's podcasts where Rage talks about it. Uh, generally, I agree with your thoughts about the game. I love the soundtrack, the uh, narrator, bard, limerick style stuff. Yeah, especially whenever, uh, especially when you unlock a new class. That's hilarious. yeah, those are amazing, and also the little story path progression points. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like building certain buildings. Um, and then I haven't won or lost enough times, I guess, to hear an end of a dungeon repeated, or if I have, I don't remember it. So, this is kind of where I think a, a major point of gameplay 
or, or getting maybe frustrated about that stuff is different playing it on mobile. So I'll sit down and I'll do two or three at a time, play it on my phone. That's 15, 20 minutes, give or take. And then I'm done. And then I'll come back to it later. Just it's on my phone. I'll pull my phone out of my pocket while I'm sitting at work or this weekend while I was like watching movies on the couch with my kid or lounging about. It's like, I don't really want to do this. I want to play some games. I'll, I'll, I'll play Guild of Dungeoneering for a little bit, play it for 30 minutes or so and then be done and then come back to it later. So maybe I have heard the same ones for winning or losing the dungeon, but I didn't notice as much because I was playing it in much shorter chunks. And you didn't say this, but I would assume you sat down since you were playing on your computer and you played it for a while. Yeah, a couple hours. Yeah. So it, in those chunks, I think it, it that holds up a lot better. Yeah, and which so is what songs, I said. You know, it feels like it's more of a mobile uh, focused because the uh, that's a, the wrong term. It does. It doesn't feel like yeah. You know, you know, they completely put it on PC as an afterthought, but there's some uh, certain design elements, uh, especially uh, they have click and drag uh, for some mechanics. Yeah. So it, it, the game plays extremely well on mobile. I mean, I don't. Again, I don't know if they designed it for mobile and then put it on PC, or they wanted to put it on mobile but went for a PC launch first, like. I don't know when it launched where, and obviously I didn't design the game, so I don't know what the original intent was. At least with that attitude. But it plays perfectly on mobile. I mean, it's, you know, the click and drag for placing things on the map is, you know, well suited to it. It's not complex. Everything's a big square, so there's not really any mistakes to be made with like, oops, I dropped it over here when it should be, you know, one space to the left. I mean, everything's a big tile or big grid, easy to... You know, put stuff where you want it. Um, there's the everything's easy to navigate, dragging certain things around, like when you get to choose treasure or pick the card you want to use when you're fighting a monster. Um, you know, it's it's double tap for that stuff. So I've never accidentally used a card I didn't mean to. You have to very deliberately double tap the card that you want to use, and if you do it too fast, nothing happens. You have to tap, wait, and then tap. So I suppose that could get frustrating if you want to play it for long periods of time and you're just like, I just want to go. I want to go. But it prevents Gotta me go from... Fast. Huh? Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. But I mean, I, you know, it prevents me from making mistakes. Um, I haven't made any accidental, you know, card usage or drops or anything that I didn't intend to. Um, you know, it's very cutesy. My kid likes to sit and play it and he also likes the songs. Like, I mean, he doesn't play it by himself. He plays it with me. But, you know, because everything's all cutesy, um, he's like, oh, Even it's when it's horrible murder. Yeah, even when it's horrible murder, I'm like, oh, this is like a giant spider, but it looks like kind of a little puffball on the screen. He's like, oh, it's a cute little spider. He, but he's a bad guy. It's like, yeah, he's a bad guy. We got to fight him. And it's like, in my head, I'm thinking, mm, that's probably like a giant sort of Skyrim-esque, like, spider monster. Uh, only it's in a better game. <laughs> I disagree, but to each their own. Um, it, it, or just very, it depends on how many mods you have. Yeah, make Skyrim like Guild of Engineering. But, you know, I it's a great game. I love it. Um, it was like five bucks, I think, on the Play Store. Um, and it's very well worth that. It comes with all of the DLC, which I don't know what I'm playing that is or is not potentially DLC. Uh, uh, that's the thing, is that the DLC, it's 
Some of the features are integrated, like the favor mechanic is from one of the DLCs. Okay. And also, uh, uh, some of the uh, card drops that you uh, slowly unlock uh, by just building up the guild and getting uh, different uh, crafting areas. I believe some yeah. of those are also from the DLCs. So it's pretty seamlessly integrated, but there's also like uh, an ice cream cavern that you could go to fairly quickly. That's obviously from the ice cream headaches DLC. Yeah, I just got the ice cream cavern um, thing that popped up. He's like, "Oh, I want to get my ice cream." And so I can ice cream, to- you scream. We all scream for ice cream. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I love the design. Of all of the characters in this game, you know, they're kind of cutesy and fun, but also, like, they hint at horribleness. Um, I like how they're sort of inventive with a different character or the different Dungeoneers, like the Chump. Um, and how he starts with, like, a whole bunch of garbage stuff and he gets some uhs, which I don't remember if you said Uh, what those were or not before. But those are basically uh, useless uh, cards. Well, I talked about the stupidity mechanic, if I recall correctly. Okay. Uh, some uh, some items uh, may be a stat upgrade, but they also put stupidity into your deck, which is the uh card. Yeah. And there's no real benefit of having cards like that, unlike some of the other card games I've played recently. Yeah. I try to minimize having garbage cards. Um, sometimes if I get something that's like plus two to health and gives you one uh card, and I don't have any other uh cards in my deck, I might take it. But I'll usually pick better cards over just a straight stat boost if it gives me. Yeah, I tried to. I tried to balance out a little bit. It it really depended on the item that you got, and also, uh, it really also depends on just your build. You know, do you even have an item in that slot? If so, then maybe I'd be more willing to uh, take a card. Yeah. Um. Some. I don't. uh, Is there a? Is there a particular dungeoneer that you find yourself using? Because I almost exclusively use the bruiser. Uh, it, it really depended on uh, the uh, mechanics because uh, some are more suited to fighting uh, ma- magic-based characters because of how the gaming system worked. I right. found the apprentice uh, uh, worked pretty well uh, whenever I had a lot of mana-based uh, fights. The ranger actually did somewhat well. Yeah, I'm, I don't have the ranger yet. That's the next one I'm going for. Yeah, um, once you get to the tier 2 stuff, they start uh, really ramping up in power. But they also start, I think, a little bit stronger as well. It doesn't feel like they're a complete uh, replacement to the previous uh, tier because there's the regeneration mechanic where if you lose a character... Which sometimes you actually want to, uh, and you've encountered that, I bet, right? Yeah, because they'll get really bad. Um, what was the one that I just had? I mean, my bruiser died, so it was okay. Like, I didn't kill him on purpose, but... Um, gullible. So every loot drop, there was one item that would be of a lower level than what the loot drop was supposed to be. So it reduced my chances of getting good loot. Yeah, but and here's I was like, the thing I is that... Have that trait. Uh, and uh, it feels like we're uh, I'm highlighting all the us now. Some of the traits that uh, were negatives uh, actually turn into a overall positive uh, after a bit. 
Yeah, I so. noticed they have levels to them. Um, so I, let's I, I've see. only had Dungeoneers last. I think I had one bruiser that lasted for three dungeons and then he died. Otherwise, no one lasts more than one or two. I think I had one that lasted four, but let's see, like, um, oh, no, there were scars, weren't they? Uh, battle scars. Okay, here we go. So, like, the uh, gullible. Okay, so stage one, one loot choice is of lower uh, level than normal. But gullible stage two, in addition to the early stage, plus one to all gold generated from treasure. So it kind of balances out. So that's useful. Uh, punch drug. Um, plus one stupidity, so you gain a, a card. But punch drug level two, you get another level of stupidity, but all a cards now block one damage of any type. No, that's nice. That's not that's not too bad. Let's see. Even the ones that start off positive uh, kind of counterbalance themselves. So let's see. Uh, hulking. Uh, early stage, plus one health. Final stage, another plus one health. Plus, plus one to stupidity. Which, that goes into your base deck. Let's see. Uh, fountain Attic. Uh, the hero is drawn towards fountains and the first tile card... Uh, each turn always has a, uh, a fountain. Final stage, in addition to the early stage, the hero becomes immune to the negative effects. So that's actually a really good one. Yeah. But, anyways, I, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed it, and I feel like it's a perfect mobile game. Um, no, it's uh. But yeah, it's it's maybe the best game I've ever played on mobile. Wow, really? It it perfectly is. It's just so perfectly suited for mobile devices. It's fun. It's got a great soundtrack. It's a real game that doesn't have bullshit microtransactions and stuff in it. You pay a real sum of money and you get a game. That's the fact that it's all card based and tile based and not finicky lends itself really well to a touch screen. It might be the best mobile game I've ever played. I'd have to really think about that to be sure, because I have played a lot of mobile games, but most of the time a mobile game is something I play that's just trash to eat up some time between something else that I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm out and about waiting at a doctor's office or waiting on Katie to do something while we're grocery shopping or... I've got 10 minutes at work, and that's not enough time to boot up a game on my computer, but I don't really want to do or don't have any paperwork at the moment. That's a lie. I don't want to do any paperwork at the moment. But I just, I find myself wanting to sit down and just play this, and there's maybe two or three mobile games I've ever played out of all of the potentially hundreds that I've tried that I actually just want to sit down and play. And not do anything else. I just want to play it. And I can kick back on the couch or in my comfy recliner and play it. I was going to go to bed last night. And I sat down in my recliner in my office and I went, hmm. You know, I could play a couple of uh, runs in Guild of Dungeoneering. And I sat there for 45 minutes and played Guild of Dungeoneering instead of going to bed. (laughs) And it was lovely. I kind of want to play it, like, right now. I'm not going to. I could. I could play it while we record. I'd be distracted. 
I'm, I'm Sorry, not what? going to. But I just I talking about it makes me want to play it right now. I'll probably play a couple of rounds before I go to bed tonight. I guess depending on how early we get done or how late we get done. But yeah, it might very well be the best mobile game I've ever played, and it's definitely in the top top three. Which uh, that's pretty high praise because you've played a lot more mobile games than me over the years. Yeah, I'm more of a, mo- a more recent convert to mobile, or picking up mobile. Yeah, and I've played lots of games that have been you know made to mobile devices like Knights of the Old Republic or uh, Bioshock or you know a half a dozen other games that they've made mobile ports for that are garbage because they're not designed with that in mind and then i've played lots of games that take concepts that would work well on mobile and they play well but they're full of mobile game bullshit but this is just a good game yeah but this is just a good game that either it's designed by default or was designed with mobile in mind and takes advantage of mobile games features or the, the features of inherent to mobile gaming. However you want to look at that. The technology, yeah, the, maybe. Yeah, and the fact that each dungeon run is sub-five minutes. Or, yeah. Or, or, probably not sub-five minutes. I would say about five minutes, actually. They're pretty short. Between five and ten minutes. Some of them I've purposely drawn out to uh, either oh, it's, collect uh, extra loot or boost my character stats and levels to fight the you know the dungeon boss or whatever yeah that's the other thing is that um unless you're getting good cards it can take a bit to level up because you only gain levels if you're fighting something of your level or higher yeah so if you keep drawing cards at a lower level then you're just going to be uh, farming some gold essentially which isn't bad because you do need that for the to level up the guild and the guild gets rather expensive after a while yeah, but Everything thankfully, on the first level is. Uh, but even failure, you know, does give you a little bit of progression. Yeah. So I like it. I like it a lot. Um, the other game that I played this week was Train Valley Two, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I only played maybe the first dozen levels. Uh, the farther you get in the game, there's some very differing mechanics that both make the game more interesting, in some cases a little more fast-paced, in other cases it makes it more, ve- like more, way more puzzly. So the first, I don't know, 10, 15 levels are really easy, introducing you to the different mechanics. Um, you get some complexities, tunnels, bridges, having to loop tracks back around, that sort of thing. So pretty, pretty simple, easy stuff to navigate. And then it starts introducing the concept of having multiple uh, layers of your industry. So, um, you know, you take people to refine the base or to harvest the base resource, wood. Then you take the wood to the shop and also workers to make uh, wood planks. And then you take those wooden planks and some workers and something else, um, maybe like cloth which you have also had to go up a couple of resources for to make chairs. And then the chairs are one in the city. Like, you you get yourself up to that. Then it introduces power as a mechanic, where you have to fuel a power station uh, in order to make certain products 
be produced. So you have to get all of these levels of industry to these products, then have power going to the power station in order for it to make them. So it adds that extra layer of complexity. Then it introduces some, I would say, I guess, unique level mechanics, different elements that change the map in some way. So for the example, there's one level that is uh, the Panama Canal. And you can build across the canal where it's going to be filled with water. And I didn't realize this the first time I played through. I was like, oh, that's neat. I guess like it's the Panama Canal, but I can build across the middle of it. But they slowly construct the Panama Canal throughout the course of the level, and it fills with water. So tracks that you have down there get destroyed, and you're not allowed to build bridges on that level. So there's like one giant bridge at the one end of the map that you have to use for everything and route everything across that. Or you have to sort of race against time in order to utilize the shorter distances that go across the Panama Canal. But as they build the sections, your track will get destroyed. So that's more cost intensive. But if you're going for some of the stars for time, that's probably the only way to do it is to figure out how to optimize your tracks that go across the canal before they get destroyed. Uh, so there's that. There's a level that has this time mechanic that once you flip the power on for the level, like for the first time, it activates a, a, a countdown timer for one of the resources that spawns every, it's like every 30 seconds. And there's no way to stop it. So you have to make sure you're utilizing that resource to its fullest. Because once the station fills up and the train gets there with the resource, it turns around because the station is full. So then you have to either um, create some kind of weird loop to keep the train away from your other other trains until you get too many on the map that it causes uh, a horrible cascading failure that crashes everything. Or you have to basically burn resources to keep using up what the, the train on the timer puts out. So... A, you know, a one-off interesting mechanic that has, that changes up the way that you do that map. And then there's one that has Nikola Tesla in it and a Tesla coil. And every so often the Tesla coil shoots out and destroys some of your track, which that one was kind of, kind of silly, but also very frustrating because it's like, God, you keep breaking the track. And the, one of the bonus stars on that map and is to not... saying, it's just a prototype, relax. <laughs> One of the bonus stars on that map it was to not crash any trains, and the Tesla coil can actually shoot the track that your train is on currently and blow it up, and that counts as a train crash. So that one's frustrating. Uh, I had to redo that map a couple of times, though, because I just, I just fucked up. When the Tesla coil first activated, I had built my train track all wrong. Um, there's certain maps that start to really encourage you to utilize this sort of... Um, so there's this mechanic that if you send anything to a city or uh, a wrong station, that is a station that doesn't accept that particular good, it will turn the train around automatically and spit it back out, and it, you know then it'll be going the opposite direction down the track. There are certain maps that encourage you to do that sort of thing because they're very small and you have to save space. Um... So then you have to really watch how many tracks you have or how many trains you have on the tracks because they might crash into each other when one turns around and is now running the opposite direction on the on the train tracks. So they just started adding a bunch of interesting mechanics that 
make the game more challenging in one way or another. They also started utilizing the challenges a lot more effectively. I felt like for the first dozen or so levels, it was, okay, here's this challenge that's going to maybe point you in the direction of a mechanic we think that you should probably use, but you can ignore it. But then later on, it's like, okay, so um, this is really incentivizing me to try and play this map in a different way in order to achieve this challenge. And I'm familiar with these mechanics now, and I'm not as worried to try putting them into place. And then I went back and I replayed so far the first 10 levels, and I got five stars on every map so far just because I've mastered the mechanics and the first levels are really easy and are very clearly like teaching tools, but playing them with a five-year-old makes them overly difficult. But it's a really good game that I've enjoyed uh, a lot and I'm going to keep, I'm going to beat it. Uh, I'm on level 30 something out of 50. So I might touch back on it one more time. If there's been any interesting mechanical changes or something to the game, that makes it even more unique. The, there's workshop support, too, that I just noticed. I'm sure it's been there the whole time, and I didn't notice it until a couple of days ago. But there are a lot of really good-looking and interesting-looking puzzle puzzles that people have put together. So I'm probably going to check some of those out, too, after I beat the main game. But, you know, I, I really liked it. I really thought that this was a good game when I mentioned it a, a few weeks ago. And... It has grown on me since, so this is like a double recommendation for Train Valley 2. It gets two thumbs up. Don't you mean two toots on the whistle or something? Choo-choo. Two dings of the bell. But yeah, really good game. So, from from talking about games to talking about a game in The Game Club... Yes, I do believe so. No, I think that's about it. So, okie dokie. So, game club time because it is the end of the month. Indeed. Uh, so, if this is the first time you've ever listened to our podcast, the first We're time sorry. you have <laughs> the first time you have um, actually, I am sorry. I, I had a stroke earlier. It was really bad. I think I might have recovered, but who knows? Do, do you still smell burnt toast? Uh, yes, I always smell burnt toast. But anyways, if this is your first time listening to a Game Club episode of the podcast, welcome. Rage and I typically have very different taste in games, and even the games that we play that happen to be the same game at different points in time, we approach them differently. We have See, different ways of... Indeed. We have different ways of, of enjoying them. And Game Club allows us to play the same game at the same time and encourage our community members to play and contribute as well. And then we can all come together and talk about it. But anyways, this month's game was Fault Milestone 1. It's been some time since we have done a visual novel. Yeah, the last and one was If My Heart Had Wings, which was February of 18? 17? Uh, 17. I still lived at my old house. So that was right, two years so, ago. So yeah, it's been a while. This one was much shorter and much more linear than If My Heart Had Wings, but it was still an extremely interesting game that I'm pretty sure we both liked based on yeah, this was, initial uh, conversation. Yeah, this is uh, what's considered a kinetic novel, which is either a novel that has no choices in it whatsoever or ones that have uh, no meaning to the actual overall, overall story, which that's what this one falls into. So technically a kinetic novel that... Uh, it could be beaten. I, I think I spent uh, about five or six hours. So, 
But I also yeah, went back see. and reread a couple of things because there was a couple of times that uh, I honestly kind of glazed over. Which I think that's a good uh, point to go into our criticisms of the game, right? Yeah. D- d- well, uh, do without you ga- through- without getting to story, which uh, by the way, uh, major story spoilers coming up if you wish to play this at some point in the future and not be spoiled. Oh, uh, save this for another time. Yeah, I guess we can talk generally for a few minutes, but I don't know how much we can talk about this before we start getting into major spoiler territory. But well, um, how about just the the way that they kind of handled the game overall? The uh, omniscient uh, third player or third person perspective, where uh, it felt like the point of view kept jumping from pl- uh, from character to character, was a bit off putting for quite a while to me. Yeah. Where um, a, a, after a while, it was actually a little bit difficult uh, for me to keep track of who exactly uh, was who until, you know, I actually learned the characters a bit more and was, could go back at name. Because typically, whenever you have a visual novel, it's uh, not as overt about jumping from point of view to point of view, or I should say as random uh, going from point of view to point of view, or you have essentially a first person's pr- perspective. This was, they were uh, going through thoughts, they were uh, talking about past, they uh, would suddenly uh, go on a lesson about this random term that this character just used for uh, yeah, about a minute or two. Yeah, for a while you spend uh, your main point of view, like there's the in-media rest opening, where that you're with a couple of different characters, and then you spend a while, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, in... Ratona's point of view, which is one of the main characters, and I don't have a problem like saying names as like a spoiler. Um, but you spend a while in her point of view, and then it just like goes buck wild for a while, and you jump around a bunch of people's yeah, point of Yeah, especially during a, a very long flashback sequence. Yeah. I mean, you go through what, like three or four different p- point of views at one point? Yeah, and there's one point towards the end, which well, I'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about more specifically, but where it jumps POV, like, mid-sentence, and yeah. it took me a minute to catch it, and I had to well, I had to go, like, reread that whole section a couple of times and be like, wait, what? What just happened? And I was like, oh, I see what they did. Yeah, That's- I do think that some of this is culture, because uh, going and uh, randomly explaining a term, that is a very uh, Japanese thing to do. I mean, just look at, let's pick something almost at random. How about an anime that we're both watching? My Hero Academia. Yeah. Whatever a new character shows up, they uh, quickly give a synopsis of their power, and that's about it. This, it goes a lot more in depth, and honestly, I would say 95% of their backstory that they give doesn't really you know, matter in the overall story. It makes things make yeah. slightly more sense, but not as much so to really be able to uh, have it yeah, be there. Besides, they have a perfect setup uh, at the end of the story to be able to have to explain stuff later on in the second game. But we'll yeah. get to that later. So this, going back to this, like sort of explaining stuff. Um, I did feel like, I'm like, okay, they're really aping an anime with this. And that's, 
it's fine to very briefly explain stuff, but you have to work towards your medium. If you're watching something, you can use a combination of on-screen visuals and narration to quickly make some points about backstory or explain something. I mean, yeah, you can take it way too far, absolutely. You can do a bad job of it. But within 30 seconds to a minute, you can explain anything that you need to within a, a, a TV show, an anime, a movie, whatever. Something where you can combine multiple types of medium uh, in the experience. But in a visual novel, you're reading everything. So you have to read, yeah, and this stop, is an and look up at the page. Novel, I might add. Yeah, so you're reading everything. You have to stop and look up. If there's like stuff on screen, you can't divide your focus as well. Like, I'm sure there are some people who can read and look at other stuff at the same time. I can't do that. So these scenes that might take 30 seconds to a minute in an anime would take five minutes to read through and look at potential stuff on screen. If Especially if they start to get descriptive, because that's another thing that kind of bugged me about how they handled the uh, the actual text is that there was times that they would uh, go into exquisite detail of, well, she obviously has done this before, but it's a static image. So, you know, it doesn't really convey it. But that yeah. may just be a budget thing. And they front-loaded a bunch of that, too. Oh, they, yeah. The first... uh, yeah, the, yeah, the achievements show that a lot of people have dumped this game before they even finish the first chapter. And honestly, I cannot blame them because, oh, damn, the, the monologuing. Yeah, the first chapter... Spends a lot of time just faffing about in, uh, you know, dealing with this character stuff that, like we mentioned earlier, really gets thrown to the wayside almost immediately. Uh, especially come back since up until uh, the end of the game. Yeah, especially since some of the characters uh, that are in the intro don't even show up again at all. And they just go on and on and on and on about it. It, this feels like a game that could have easily cut a good hour of content out and not, you know, you would have noticed. Yeah. Uh, especially whenever they did a, uh, that, now, this is something that I think, uh, I may have caught that, uh, there was a moment that I was like, wait, what? They did a flashback. They needed a flashback covering the same stuff again. Was I the Which, only, uh, what are you, uh, they were talking about uh, his, the uh, um, I have to go to the character list now uh, uh, Rudo's uh, growing up they covered that like two or three times yeah you get that from two perspectives you get yeah, it from but, both Rudo and Rune's perspective or was it no from his dad's perspective Sid, Sid. yeah but they cover the exact same stuff <laughs> Yeah, which uh, which makes it feel redundant, even though it's a different point of view. Part of me wonders if some of that is also lost to translation because it, you know, I, I think it's originally a Japanese game. So part of me wonders if yo, know, there's a, a slightly uh, different uh, wording that is a lot, a lot more subtle but a lot more meaningful than repeating the same thing over and over again. Yeah, something that conveys maybe a difference in meaning that's lost in translation. Yeah, instead of Groundhog Daying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think any other stuff in the general sort of discussion before we have to get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, 
I really like the soundtrack. It's a uh, good original track. Sir, yeah, I thought the soundtrack, soundtrack was pretty good. I, I wish that, especially for some of the scenes where they stay in an area for quite a while, that the soundtrack looped better. So it wasn't as obvious that, oh, the audio just repeated. That kind of took me out of it a little bit. I noticed that a couple of times. Uh, the bad one, I believe, lot. was the, the the bar. Yeah, the bar was really bad. Uh, and especially, uh, there were several times that you go to the, uh, the well, the bar or the tavern uh, and spent a long time there. Yeah, there's an extended scene, maybe like 30 or 40 minutes where you're there going through a bunch of stuff. But you come back to it several times. And you go back to the tavern like four or five times in the course of the story. Yeah, and I gotta um, say that uh, maybe this is just me and because so much of it was uh, in flashback that this feels like a story that uh, kind of played out before you even show up and you know, you basically clean up the entire thing in like a day. Yeah. And it feels like it, it's not, not quite uh, uh, inconsequential that you're there, but close to it. Yeah, your character... The the main character, I guess. Or characters. Let's the, just... the yeah, the the dual protagonists that show up like are, are catalyze this event that happens, but then they just sort of are in the backseat for the rest of the time as your character POV switches. And that's when it goes to that crazy like let's change POV a half a dozen times and there's a new main character. Uh, spend the, the will of POV. On. Yeah. And then, you know, you've just as you feel like you're getting back in control again, the game ends. So that's frustrating. I mean, I think it sounds like we're being kind of down on this game. I, overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I immediately wanted to play part two, um, or part two A, because the, the second one is split into two pieces, and there's a third one that is also a prequel, I think, or we think that's supposed to come out between parts A and B of chapter two. So, it's a weird storytelling split. But I immediately wanted to play whatever next chunk was out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't yet, but I want to play it. Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the storytelling. It gets into some very deep philosophical stuff. Yeah, which it honestly some, I didn't expect. Yeah, it covers some interesting psychology. Uh, the story feels a little more nuanced than you would think if you have any experience with most visual novels. Um, uh, well, I disagree with that. Okay. That's because of your taste in visual novels. Most visual novels out there, my, I, you can make fun of me all you want. That's fair. <laughs> but most visual novels out there that at least exist in the Western market are trash. There are good ones. Absolutely. I have played some good ones. We have played uh, now two on this show. But most of them are trash because I think most Western audiences, when it comes to visual novels, wants light porn. I will so, say that light there, there is a good market that is essentially just porn games that gets uh, sent over. But that's because that's what's popular in the West and it doesn't require as much translation. So I think it's kind of a low bar of entry for that. But that's not saying that, yeah, I'm not one to try to lump the entire, uh, the entire genre or medium 
into this because of what's represented in the Western market. Because don't, don't make me start recommending visual novels to you. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, like I said, I, I, I've got some good ones outside of the trash that, that I like to, but I also do think that some read, of your, but... uh, some of the past that you have because you've read uh, a fair amount of trash. I would like to see uh, your thoughts on Clonad, but unfortunately, that is like a hundred-hour novel to get through. Yeah, which I wouldn't be opposed to doing at some point, but I couldn't sit down and play or do that like I did this because I did the whole thing in one sitting. I've got my yeah. I broke this up because there was uh, several times that uh, they would just start going off, and it's just like, okay, I-, I need to step away. Yeah, I went to start it Sunday night, and I was too tired to start. And I started, you know, I got through the first 15, 20 minutes. I was like, okay, I'm too tired for this. I need to come back. And I started over uh, yesterday because I had the day off from work. So I, I did the whole thing yesterday. I, my office is set up. Now I've got a TV mounted on the wall uh, in front of my recliner. So I just kicked back in the recliner, got some snacks, some drinks, uh, adjusted the TV just so and played it uh, on the TV. And it was an excellent experience. So that also helped me feel good. Yeah, I actually it, I did a, a fair chunk of it. Uh, Steam link to my phone. Um, one sort of final general thing that I want to say before we kind of say if we liked it or not overall and then move on to the specifics Um I really like the aesthetic. I almost said art style, but that's wrong. This is a fairly standard sort of visual novel, anime art style. But the uh, aesthetic the that they uh, went the, for... The, the world theme. Yeah, the, the theme is interesting. There's some unique stuff to it. There's some stuff that I've seen before. But this sort of combination of retro sci-fi plus fantasy element that they've got going sort on. of uh star wars if it went steampunk yeah that's a good way to describe it uh, but i really like it it feels fairly unique overall like i said there's some elements that i've seen before in other other stuff but i don't think i've seen anything quite like this and i was impressed um and i was impressed overall with the world building um you know there are points where it drags, but once the story gets rolling, it doesn't really slow down too much. There's a lot of really good world building going on in there, so I, I just I like the world, every bit of it. Yeah, I have to agree with that one. Uh, it's a, a rather refreshing uh, set uh, dressing, uh, uh, world building. Uh, even though I think that's that may actually be slightly part of just. Uh, because they monologue so much that we understand some of what's going on, but at the same time, uh, yeah, it's just a very strange combination. Uh, it's a, I would say, uh, turn of the 20th century esque, uh, uh, technology for the most part in, uh, uh, the world, uh, meets, uh, medieval fantasy. So yeah. that, so that was a very interesting combination. Yeah, there's some interesting magic is analog to technology stuff that they use in neat ways. Um, like saying that radio waves 
or, or like yeah, a, travel a f- along essentially the mana web. Right? Yeah, it encompasses most of the planet. Yeah, but we're and, and that's also into- yeah, and that's also a very interesting plot element as well. Yeah. So, um, just general thoughts uh, about did you like it or not? Uh, well, would you recommend it or not? And then we'll move on to the specifics about the game because I just want to, you know, if someone has listened yeah. this far and then they were wondering, oh, should I go play this and then come back for the rest of it? Like, what what do you think? Overall, I liked it. At first, I absolutely hated it, but it was because it, the opening sequence, because of my Western sensibilities, felt like amateur hour. Just, it's a weird thing to say that they were telling and not showing in a visual novel. Yeah. That's what they were doing quite a bit. On top of reading thoughts instead of letting characters' mannerisms uh, uh, come into play. It's one thing if you're doing a first-person character and you just outright state, state their thoughts. That's one thing. But to have, uh, well, the example I used was uh, that one character that was, where did I put the character list? Uh, there it is. Uh, one of the assaulters, which was Coco. I think it was. Uh, she uh, was coming in, and they were talking about how she was nonplussed by the uh, uh, all the blood, and that she's obviously done this before. To my sensibilities, that's a very amateur way to put it. Instead of having her, you know, just you know, maybe nudge a soldier uh, uh, onto his back that's been killed, and just you know, look at him, you know, something like that. That's you know, he's. Uh, not that she's not off put by the sight of blood that she's not um, off put by all the carnage you know, a very simple thing like that instead of talking at length about how she's obviously known this before that, that this doesn't phase her and then get into some of the terms that she used uh, in uh, uh, the one sentence that she already said so that it, it started off very very rough for me and to be honest if I would played this before, I would have not put this on the game club list because of that opening. And I think the Steam achievements agree with me that it is a very, very, very rough thing to get through. It was, what, less than a third of the people that's, uh, that owns the game has gotten through the first uh, chapter, but then there's a really good carryover if they gotten through it. Yeah, it's somewhere around 30 to 35%, only... Only 30-35% make it through the entire first chapter, but if you make it through the first chapter, you're more, you're like 95% of the people that make it past the first chapter finish the whole game. Well, I think that's also a combination of uh, novel length and also the end of the first chapter is where things start to pick up. Yeah. So, my general thoughts are, I totally think that this game is worth it. If you are this visual novel, if you like visual novels, there's a lot to chew on and unpack here. Um, I almost said despite the fact that it's really short, but I think that's a selling point for it. Like, I'm one uh, well, of the reasons... It's a selling point, especially uh, for its price point, because it is, what, about 15 bucks to, uh, usually? Uh, I'm not sure. I got it for, like, a couple of bucks... It might have been in a bundle, a humble bundle. Uh, it's 15, yeah. 
But, you know, it, it's short. It took me about five hours to get through it. Steam says I have ten hours, but I ran it for trading cards before I actually went through it. So it took yeah, me about five uh, hours to get through it. And that's a, a big selling point for me as well. Like, I have a hard time committing to a 40 or a 50 or a 100-hour visual novel. Um, that's a long time to sit and read a screen. And, like, yes, I will spend a 100 hours a month easy just, like, reading things. But it's, like... I have to sit and intentionally participate in this, which is fine, but I only have a limited amount of time each day or each week to do so, and that takes up a lot of that time. But this is just a quick experience. I had the day off. I sat down in the morning, and I played through the whole thing by lunchtime, and I was done. And it was good, and I enjoyed it. So if you've made it this far, but you haven't played the game, and you're like, well, I like visual novels, or I think I might like this. Is it worth it? I think so. I really do you think so? Yeah, so. I will say that if you're a speed reader, I would say kind of take the uh, foot off the accelerator a little bit, especially because they jump around uh, point of views a, a fair bit uh, towards the like the middle third of the game. Yeah. Uh, so. I, according to Steam, I have well, I have ten hours total, which uh, is seven point one hours in the last two weeks, which was when I pl- uh, did this. I know I got up and yo. Know, hobbled around for a bit because there was a sequence that I was like, oh shit, which we'll get to in a little bit. But also the fact that, you know, I just need to step away after a, you know, long going into another uh, flashback and talking about the uh, various terms. It's just, okay, I I need to go get a drink or something. <laughs> yeah. I will say that it ran well on the Steam link though, but you know, it is a visual novel, but if you have a decent enough uh, sized phone that you could read it easily, I would say it's definitely a, a good way to read it. I would uh, uh, amend that saying that uh, you want to set it up where you have the uh, mouse controls because you know click to advance, but also drag on a controller button, a uh, left bumper, I believe, uh, from the Xbox controller, so you could go back and reread uh, easily enough. Yeah, because, because there's not an easy way to scroll, which is the uh, main way here. Oh, I will say that also, uh, this is you know, this should have been the technical bit, but oh well. Uh, it is a fully featured uh, visual novel for its price, which is actually a bit of a rarity. It has a full gallery. It has a full musical section. Uh, a couple of videos, not much. But yeah, it's pretty full featured for its price, which is a little bit surprising. It's just not voiced, which is the only kind of negative towards it, which is yeah, minor. Yeah. Um. Okay. So specifics here, there be many spoilers, uh, um, as in all of them. What you broke up. Hello? Hello. Okay, uh, you just kind of uh, trailed off there, and I thought, oh no. Uh, did you have a stroke or did your connection die? You kind of shut off there. I don't know. It's probably my internet. My thing stayed green the whole time, but it was probably me, so. Well, if your thing staying, uh, is turning green, you probably should go see a doctor. You've hey been stroking it too much. Hey Um. But yes, here there be spoilers. They'll, I'll do a little cut, fix that. Yeah, um, all of the spoilers. So, let's run through 
the sort of top down of the story pretty quickly. That's it's actually on the surface a fairly simple story that where you really get into is the deep the deeper end is the nuance about the characters and the backstories. The overall story is you are playing. Let me pull up the character list here. You are playing. Well, air quotes oh, well, playing. Well, yeah, you're kind of a dual protagonist in this. Uh, you're Ronoda. Uh, I'm not even going to try her last name. A royal guard to the princess Stephanie, who, um, like I said, it's the princess uh, to the kingdom of. Did they actually say? Rosenhind? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what those words mean. Uh, well, I'm surprised that... Kingdom of Rosenhaid? It looks very uh, either like Germanic or... Yeah, I was about to say very German. Um, yeah. The, the kingdom it... of our... The king... Rug! The Rug Kingdom. You're the princess, and the princess is, like, main bodyguard for Rug Kingdom. Yeah, and the princess is actually uh, very important in this. Uh, more so than usual because of this magic that the royal line has. And this is uh, the main uh, reason why, uh, or, or uh, ties into the overall story. Is but, this? Hmm? Sorry, go ahead. I did. I thought you were. Oh, uh, well, I heard but, so I... Uh, but, uh, the uh, princess and the royal family has this uh, magic called the path down, which is an imbuement of the previous owner's uh, experience and from uh, everyone that's uh, held it before them. Oh, I just realized uh, it's the uh, it's the uh, all for one or sorry, one for all from uh, uh, My Hero Academia. <laughs> that's it. Sort of, yeah. Where uh, the experience and the uh, knowledge of uh, the previous owner uh, is passed along to the next generation of ruler in this kingdom to essentially instantly make them the best ruler possible. And yeah. uh, the king uh, is in hiding, and we don't know exactly why this group of three or four different people are assaulting the uh, kingdom, only that... Uh, they seem to know exactly where the princess was going to be, and they're trying to kill her and the king at the same time to prevent the path down from activating. Yeah. But so, very, yeah, very top down. Like, the game starts, and you're playing as, well, actually, you're playing as the bad guys, yeah, uh, as they yeah, come this... to assassinate the princess. The princess and her bodyguard use a special type of, like, teleportation magic to escape. It goes wrong. Yeah, yeah that's highly up... experimental. That's the thing, yeah. is that uh, the reason why they are so off uh, where they plan to be, they uh, explain. Uh, they explained that it was the first time that it was ever used. That it was supposed to lead them to a safe house, but something went wrong, and they don't know what. And instead, they ended up on the other side of the planet. And remember how I said that the uh, magic web kind of encompassed most of the planet. They ended up in the one place that it doesn't. And yes. And the, the world way has got yeah. oh. Oh, oh, sorry, I was saying, and the way that the magic system works in this game is that uh, instead of building magic within yourself, uh, you kind of take it from the environment and hold it. So they're going to be slowly leeching their magic if they're in this void just by osmosis. 
So they're in trouble if they stay here. Yeah. And it's not that there's no magic or no mana here, but it's like there's not very much. It's like a point. Like they describe it as being there's like four points in the world where magic sort of originates and flows from. And the farther you get from those points, the lower the concentration gets. And this is like the point on the planet where that none of the magic poles really cover it. And so they just sort of have like a very small amount of like the, magic. Like the background noise. Yeah. Um, so the people who live there don't really have access to magic like the rest of the world does. Uh, so instead and- they rely on technology. So it comes down to a magic versus science uh, pretty much immediately. Yeah. But so they wind up here. They stumble into this town where they're very clearly outsiders. They don't look like or sound like or speak the language of anyone there. Yeah, which that, but, that is one thing that was a little bit annoying was that the princess uh, was able to suddenly be able to speak the language because she understood a lot of languages. So she was able to understand a completely foreign language from the other side of the planet. Well, it was also that and uh, magic. No, no, no. They, they specifically said it wasn't magic. It was her. No, uh, they knowledge. said it was. They said it was a combination of her knowledge and her magic, like her imbued royal magicness. Because it's not like it wasn't one of the specific magic forms that they use, but she was like, as a royal, she's naturally magically inclined towards knowledge or towards language. And she, they said that she could speak eight languages without the assistance of magic, which there's a name for it. I don't, Arterum? Artirum? But then she's able to use that magic to help her understand language faster. Which they have a link between her and uh, Ronota uh, to also uh, communicate silently. Yeah. So once she figures it out, she's essentially uh, working as a translator. Yeah. But so they wander around this town trying to get some money so that they can get some... Which, that's an interesting point. They come from a post-scarcity environment. Well, not only that, but they also talk about later on uh, where, because how magic uh, uh, essentially just balances out the sexes, where uh, it's a pretty uh, equal uh, equal power between uh, both the male and uh, female sexes. Uh, So whenever they uh, have uh, an encounter where uh, it's obvious that the men still hold the power in this uh, other kingdom or other country. Uh, it feels completely foreign to them because, uh, but it also makes sense because they don't have magic to kind of counterbalance it. Yeah, and, th- and they haven't gotten to uh, our point uh, of technology just yet, for the most part, where you know uh, information is kind of uh, counterbalanced everything. Um. But, uh, so they get some money and they're going to try and figure out, like, to get some clothes and they need to get something called sediment, which is like basically just, it's basically essential- it's rocks or, or crystals that have soaked up lots of magical energy. Yeah, it's essentially just rocks that were, uh, uh near one of the poles that just uh, acted as a sponge. Yeah. And they were looking for uh class four to essentially pull what mana they had because they already could tell that. Uh, things were, they fell off because they just didn't have the magic around them like they're used to. It's sort of like, uh, if you're standing at the bottom of the mountain and then uh, suddenly are teleported to the top of it because you have so much uh, less oxygen that you're used to, 
you're going to uh, suffer a sickness about it. Well, that's what, uh, especially uh, Renata was uh, suffering from because she was a battlecaster. So she yeah, already so she, used, so she used a lot of magic before. And the royal line tends to try to stockpile theirs and use as little as possible. Yeah. So they they do describe it like air, like how if you go to somewhere with little air. So I guess the best way to think of these rocks is they're like oxygen tanks mm-hmm. where that you could store mana and then draw it if you needed it. Um, but anyways, this is where they stumble into Rune, which is the main... Well, well they also the kind third of... Well, protagonist? Well, well, before that, they also really showed that they were outsiders because this item that they were looking for... Uh, class four sediment, which was just very impure, but still could hold mana that they described as children's toys. Well, here it's very rare and is a precious resource more so than gold. Yeah. So, uh, they, uh, were, they were warned about this several times, but it never really came up as a consequence because they would just tell anyone it's one off. Uh, don't tell uh, people that you could use mana and that you have mana in you because uh, they all drain you dry, uh, filling sediment. Yeah, and then they tell multiple people and use mana several times, and nothing ever happens. But they, after this, they run into Rune, which is the next or the third main protagonist. That sort of is who the story centers around. And this is where we were mentioning earlier, like the game starts to go through a whole bunch of perspective shifts. They go on sort of a a little little mini adventure, a, a day on the town. They get supplies. Um, they go out to dinner at a tavern, get to, you know, we get introduced to her and, and learn some things about her. And there's some stuff that to me felt extremely obvious where they're like, keep saying like, oh, she doesn't seem quite right. She doesn't seem, and I'm like, yeah. oh, she's a robot. She's a robot. And that's yeah, I didn't get robot close. right away. I went to, I went to clone as soon as they talked about the sisters project. I thought, yeah. oh, oh, they cloned her a bunch of times. And I, I wasn't sure where to put it whenever they kind of smashed it keg of ale on her yeah but I was also like, oh, no. yeah yeah i was thinking robot like right away i i think it's closer to like cyborg because they sort of insinuate well, that, like she has some sort of soul or yeah or essentially mind, like- uh well uh, this is late game but let's go for it uh, basically they talked about how everyone even in the outer poles has an innate mana about them and that holds uh, essentially that's their soul and in this uh, uh, world, people mummify, or at least they used to, uh, the, the dead. And somehow the original rune's mana was still lingering enough that she could be transferred into this robotic body. Uh, with well, some consequences for the person that was doing it, which we'll get to later. Yeah. But so, you know, we're introduced to rune. We spend the whole day with her and we find out like. You know, there's only, they say there's like three more days that you guys can be here because before your mana sort of runs out and then you're basically stuck here permanently because your body acclimates and then it won't be able to soak up any additional mana or you die. One of those two things happens mm-hmm. and they don't really specify exactly which is going to happen to our main characters, but it's one of those two. And yeah, like, but oh, they, but they really do faff about, don't they? They do really faff about, but so then Rune is like, wait, before you leave, meet me tomorrow. I'm going to give you something. Um, and then her, well, we find out later that it's her sort of brother, the story, philosophy stuff, but this guy shows up and, uh, the next day and gives them 
a class one sediment, which is like pure. Yeah, it's uh, highly perfect. pure. It's able to. Uh, uh, that's the thing is that uh, the magic system is based around five elements, and essentially the a class one is able to take something uh, pure mana and not change it. But a class four, if it took in some uh, mana, it would change some of it to a secondary type, which uh, could be troublesome for certain spells. Yeah. But it could be uh, used for other things. But so this guy shows up and he's like, hey, that person you were talking to wasn't really a person. She's a thing, an object. And they think that they're referring to slavery. And he's which, like, in a way they kind of are. <laughs> yeah. But he was he was like, she was caught stealing this. Um, I just want you gone, so take it and leave. And you're like, no, we're not going to do that. Well, and you so have a choice have, here. <laughs> yeah, you have the game's only choice, which is meaningless, which is like you can choose to meddle and try and stop it, or you can choose to essentially respect what's going on and leave because you need to. Yeah, I chose not to meddle just to see what would happen. Uh, I also it, made that choice. It ignored but it. But then it's like... Yeah, and they're like, well, we probably shouldn't. It's, you know, you're whatever, whatever, but we're going to do it anyways. And it's like, well, okay, that's that's kind of what I expected, but whatever. Um, So then you spend a little bit more time investigating with these characters, uh, looking for Rune again. Um, you run into her. She's, like, acting all weird. They call her Sarah instead of Rune now. And it's like she's had her memory erased. Um, we spend a little background with, or we, we get a couple of scenes of Rudo and uh, some of the other, like, board members for this company. Yeah, which a lot of them are, aren't named. They're just there by letter, which is uh, makes it a little hard to follow at times. Yeah, but we get, like, some some very basic, like, what's going on with her. And then as you start investigating this, the story about what's up with her, you start getting into these huge prota- or huge point POV shifts because you go through um, a history of like how Rudo saw the events, which is Rudo is, is the CEO runes brother, the guy who gives you the class one sediments. You see his history of events and then you see, his father's history of events, or, or maybe I get that backwards. Maybe you see his father, and I don't remember exactly. It's this part is very confusing. Like the story itself in the background is sort of easy enough to work out, but the order in which it comes is very confusing because different characters' POVs will repeat stuff. It's a memento of times. <laughs> yeah, um, but so you get sort of a. Uh, uh, sorry, a, I just had that. You know, it's like. Uh, this is like uh, several different ideas thrown together, like it's memento. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But so you get these characters sort of history from both Rudo, Sid, Rune, and then Albus, who's a character we haven't really talked about yet. But he's another one of the sort of CEO board member people who is a little closer to Sid, which is Rudo's father, which I understand that this is very confusing. We might should put a link to Visual Nova Database, so it has all the characters listed, and you can sort of look at yeah, them as we talk about them. Yeah, and I will say that there is options to turn off spoilers and not. Yeah, but um, so you just get a whole bunch of bouncing around as you hear 
the essentially the story of Rune, this little girl who is a sociopath. She has no emotions. She manipulates people. She tortures and kills animals. She's a sociopath. I don't, they don't outright say that in the game, but immediately they were like, oh, she doesn't have any emotions. I'm like, oh, she's a sociopath. Uh, they That's even go as far to talk about her brain not having that center in, uh, in it. Yeah. Bring out the MRI is, machine. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is sociopathy. Uh, anyone who has questions about sociopathy, feel free to email the show. Uh, VGL podcast uh, at gmail.com. Yep. Ask your questions. You can have them answered by a real therapist who has actually worked with a sociopath before. That's interesting. But, uh, that's uh, uh, having some time. flashbacks during this, huh? <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, she's a sociopath who there's a very brutal scene where she like beats a kid nearly to death. Yeah. Uh, now here's the thing. I- I'm not sure whose kid it is. It's, I'm not sure if it's the tailors that we run into before that gives us a set of clothes or if it's one of the board members because it's the uh, the same surname. I thought I think it is it the tailor. The, I thought it was the board member's kid who is the tailor? Uh no that's the, the uh he's a nephew because they talked about his uh, being an uncle. Oh. That, that, that that's why this is where the point of view shifts got very confusing. But if I recall correctly, at one point he talked about the tailor, uh, Hertz, uh, just to yeah make things easier. Talked about uh, yeah losing his family, but he never went into specifics about it. So uh, that's why I'm thinking it's him. But I'm not 100 percent sure just because of how the POV shifts and everything, and that yeah. there's multiple people that they refer to by the same surname. Yeah. But this is also, I believe, just a translation problem. Yeah, that was a little bit, a little bit confusing, uh, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of it. But so but, you see, you know, you see. But her that story. also makes me think that uh, the kid was directly targeted and wasn't a random attack because of his association with Albus, which is her father's best friend. Mm-hmm. And um, she could be very conniving and trying to hurt people, as we'll find out in a little bit. Yeah. So Rune, anyways, she, um, so she's a sociopath. You get to explore her story as she grows older. I think this happens during Sid's POV, um, as we get to see her as a like a a, a preteen, yeah, maybe a well, teenager. Yeah, she uh was like six uh, during that attack, and then uh, four. Four or six years past, so she's in the ten to twelve year old range. She's a tween. Uh, those um, but damn she's... tweens with their fidget spinners and murder sticks. <laughs> but she's uh, she is doing the sort of manipulative lying portion of sociopathy, where she's you know essentially lying to everyone, manipulating them to make them think what they want about her. Everyone believes that she has turned into this sweet little girl. But it turns out she's still making plans to do horrible things and torturing and killing animals in the park. Um, and she poisons her mom. Her mom does not die from the poison. She dies later. Yeah, she kills. Her, yeah, her mom was uh, of weak constitution, uh, just uh, uh, naturally. And she got sick from the poison and actually uh, uh, threw it up before it poisoned her. Uh, it was. Yeah. And uh, the. Actual poison that she chose was actually very deliberate as well. Yeah. 
Uh, um, it was this drug called Process One that was b- being made by the uh, rival of her father's company that caused a lot of problems uh, when she was little. Essentially, Process One is a super steroid, yeah, which makes people. Uh, able to make them stronger, able to function for longer periods of time without eating or sleeping, and it makes them immune or resistant to the sort of mana poisoning effect uh, the that mana happens. Shock. Yeah, they they call it mana shock, but it's you made an excellent observation that I didn't catch that it's kind of like radiation poisoning, how it builds up in a person's system over time. Yeah, and that, causes that's a what lot it, of similar that's what symptoms, it felt like, especially whenever uh, the father later on was suffering from it. And he was coughing up blood constantly and uh, was talking about weakness in various parts of his body. Yeah. So that, that's uh, – and also how they talked about going away from coal to use mana as a power. So that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. So but so she uses this um, to poison her mom and – And a bunch of board members. or 12? It, it was uh, something like a dozen uh, – uh, board members of the company as the as her father was trying to expand uh, into the outer poles, which was uh, where mana is more plentiful. Plus, yeah. uh, she had a, a lot more uh, stockpiled to be able to do more damage. But she she dies. She kills. Her. It doesn't say for sure, but it no, seems no, 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 no. It said for sure that she uh, committed suicide. Okay, so she stowed away your book transport on a ship that was going out. Yeah, she stowed um, away on a ship that was going to uh, essentially to the outer poles to uh, suffer mana shock. And once the ship reached its destination, which that's also a, kind of an interesting thing, is how the ship could go from point A to point B and not you know have the crew suffer from that unless they you know there has to be something going on there or yeah there's a certain concentration. I mean, they have robots. Um, you uh, know, this comes up. They have uh, automata. No, no. That, that 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 was after the fact. I thought uh, that he had developed the basic mining bots, though. Yeah, but they that. yeah, but they weren't that advanced. Well, but you could make a uh, a mana computer or whatever to drive the. Bo- I just assumed that it was either the robots or they used people from outside who could come and go as long as they didn't spend too long at the. The outermost pole. Yeah, it's kind of that place was called. It's kind of weird. There's a lot of monologuing and talking about backstory on things that make no difference whatsoever, but then they skip over yeah pretty important details. Yeah, they just hand wave this, which I mean is fine. I'm okay with them doing. Yeah, that yeah, it's just kind of that justification, you know. Yeah, but um, so that happens to Rune. And like I said, you see this flashback from multiple point or this time point in time from multiple perspectives, and each one does have some uniqueness to it and tells a little bit more of the story each time you go. Um, Sid, Rudo, and Rune's father, after Rune dies, and then her mother, which what was her name, El something, Elni, Eln, Eline. Aline. I would go with Aline. Uh, essentially, her mother uh, was always of weak constitution after losing Rune in this brutal way and having Rune try to kill her before that uh, just uh, completely broke, wouldn't eat, uh, and just wasted away and died of a broken heart, essentially. Yeah. Um, after that, Sid kind of... You think that he goes crazy, and he honestly kind of does, but what he's doing is he's 
working on this project. He's heard of the path down and he knows that it works through mana. And he's like, well, I've done so much with mana. If they can do it, I can replicate this process with science. And he creates. I mean, science. (laughs) Science. Bitch. But he creates a perfect replica of his daughter. He, he creates an android. Think like Data. Um, and then he is able to use the, the path down combination of science and like a, a huge amount of mana that they have stored at their facility. Like they talk about it like they don't give a specific number, but they talk about it like it's the equivalent of hundreds of millions or billions of dollars worth of uh, research and development and product essentially and in the mana to make this happen. And in doing so, like in, in completing the path down, he kills, winds up killing himself, but he's Which he was already pass- suffering from severe mana poisoning anyway. Yeah. I mean, before he, he, before he does that, he's uh, constantly coughing up blood for ages and talking about, uh, you know, uh, his uh, arm, it feels like it's being eaten away. Which was where yeah. uh, he got the mana shock before that he was able to move it, which cancer, right? Yeah. Um, but so you know, completing this path down process, he passes on you know his memories, his experiences, and he's able to capture sort of Rune's spirit with that whole mana thing we were talking about earlier, and put that back in her body, and then pass on his memories and experiences to her. Well, well, no, which no, imbues no, no, no. her with his creativity and emotion, thus curing her sociopathy. Well, well he didn't uh, uh, put his uh, memories and experiences in. He's only copied the part of his brain that ha- that handled emotion. Uh, he wanted to essentially recreate Rune as if she didn't have the brain injury, brain defect, or whatever. Uh, that's all that he wanted. He didn't want any part of himself to survive outside of that. The lack of activity in her prefrontal cortex. Well, look at you. Almost like you uh, know what you're talking about. <laughs> Almost <laughs> like I do this for a living. Um, but, uh, so yeah, he, but he, he puts that stuff into her, which effectively cures her of her sociopathy. And then the, the, we get some, quite a bit of flashback of as she develops and she starts to pick back up on these memories, the philosophical discussion of like, is she a person? Is she not a person? How does this work? The scientists are like, we can't, like, if we take her apart, we can't put her back together. We will effectively kill her if we break her down to try and figure out what's going on inside. And, yeah, and also, and uh, uh, whenever uh, she was recreated, resurrected, he purposely destroyed all the nodes and uh, the flooding of mana into that uh, compo- uh, that laboratory uh, destroyed most of the machinery. Uh, she was essentially, you know, at the eye of this mana storm that uh, destroyed everything around her. So, yeah. so there's no notes or anything outside of the sisters project that they're very basic automatons that they're human esque, but. Uh, there, there was this part where they, uh, started going into, uh, science versus religion, uh, which, uh, they were talking about building these sisters to help with the process one victims because the mana shock that they were suffering was contagious, which, you know, radiation. Uh, and the sisters of the church were, uh, uh, succumbing to it. So, they were wanting to build the automatons to try to 
repair the image of the company. Uh, I'm not 100% sure where they were going with that. And they were never able to produce one because the church said they lacked heart. So they were intentionally letting people die, which feels a, a little bit of, you know, uh, a little preachy, honestly, on uh, both sides of the argument, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't quite understand that whole... Well, I mean, I understood it. I didn't understand why they went down that whole path, because it seemed kind of irrelevant to irrelevant the overall and, and, and overly preachy on both sides of the argument of, well, uh, science can make people gods. Well, we should just uh, embrace what we have and uh, as God's blessing and not try to advance. Both arguments kind of feel flat to me, to be honest. Yeah. And it just um, never paid off, honestly. It comes back up one more time later on, and they're like, we took her down there to the church, and they didn't know that she wasn't a real girl. Like, I'm heavily paraphrasing. But and it, but it was like, oh, there was no interest because we couldn't recreate the process. So, and it's like, okay, cool, I guess. But, uh... So anyways, you go through this part where she's essentially becoming human as she has regains memories uh, and experiences new things and how the intersection with the first characters, main characters, whatever, sets her on this path or sets everybody on this path to uh, resolution, like bringing the situation to a head because she does something that she knows is wrong. She steals to help her new friends because she feels compassion and happiness with them. And, and that, in combination with using mind-melding, they're able to convey all of this to Rudo, who decide, who has hated her this whole time. Yeah, he's had he, this sword of Damocles hanging over her because he uh, uh, hated his sister partially because of what she was, because... Uh, yeah, she was a sociopath. She was, uh, she, bitch, be crazy, right? She was evil. I mean, it, uh, essentially well, they, well, they, evil. Well, they talked about de- uh, devil incarnate uh, several times. Yeah. Uh, which okay, here's something that uh, I saw brought up, and it's like, oh yeah, how did nobody connect Sarah and Rune outside of the company? I mean. Because she was a meter reader, essentially. Yeah. Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I know that they kept uh, Rune uh, secluded for a while after the fact, essentially home arrest. But she eventually got out and was around. And they and her father recreated her about the age that she died. So it was, you know, like she skipped a few years and, you know... Uh, and yeah, you know, there's a resemblance, but it's definitely not her. But no, it's definitely her. But everybody will uh, immediately clam up and uh, talk about she's evil in the moment you talk about Rune. But Sarah, oh, she's a sweet girl. She comes around and read the meter uh, once a month. Yeah. Well, well it's not meter reader. It's uh, essentially swapping out a filter to, but yeah, you know, same process essentially. Yeah, it's just to come by and essentially do some minor maintenance on the system that converts mana to energy. Um, but yeah, I don't know how that they didn't make that connection aside from game reasons, narrative reasons. Video game logic? 
Video game logic. <laughs> Ding. But Rudo has this huge change of heart because he's finally able to recognize that she has a, is a person and his dad didn't go crazy. Or he did, yeah, there, but yeah, there was it this, wasn't all in vain. He yeah, wasn't wasting this, his time. There, there was this one scene about uh, him listening in that he remembered. At least I think remembered or was a man nailed or uh, th- this is the part of the story where you know, things are a little weird about you know, who's actually talking about never wanting Rudo to be alone. And that's yeah. the entire reason why he uh, recreated a rune. Yeah. So, but then, but then Rudo's like, okay, you're a person, go be with your new friends. Um, and he gives them some experimental technology, which is essentially a radio because they've lost the ability to communicate via telepathy magic because there's just not enough magic in the current area. And, and they and never they got that range. sediment. Yeah. So he gives them a magic radio and is like, we'll keep the connection open from here so we can we can talk to you. And, and they were talking about um, the but but that would be a very expensive one, isn't it? Uh, it's a prototype. It's it's field uh, testing. Yeah. So uh, obviously a major change of heart because up until this point he he's been a cold bastard. I mean he talked. Yeah, about, he's. Uh, I mean cold he, calculating efficiency. Yeah. I mean he he's had a, he had a lot of uh, shit to deal with <laughs> going up uh, because uh, he tried to warn people about Ring before uh, the big murder spree that she went on. And uh, nobody believed her, believed him because, you know, Rune was playing them. Uh, Albus, yeah. her, his friend's, uh, or his uh, father's friend, believed him to some degree, but there was no proof. Because, you know, I guess everybody was missing all the murdered animals and never tried to catch who was doing it, right? Yeah. Um, What else is there? Okay, so yeah, so then the, the next part in the story is everyone leaves as a party. It's like, ah, oh, we're striking out on our adventure. This is the final chapter. I'm like, okay, yeah, this yeah, is bound be- to be Yeah, like- we better hurry up. We only have like five minutes left before we all are stuck here. Yeah, so they leave, and I'm expecting some, you know, a quick like, ah, oh, yes, we're going out on the road, and we're doing things, and we're going to have a slight bit of adventure, and we'll get to something that's going to be the setup for the next chapter and uh, they sort of do that with like this massive immediate cliffhanger where that the one of the people from one of it's not the opening scene the like one that rolls before the the credits the the intro credits or the intro theme it like after that this person shows up for like two seconds and like intimidates the previous bad guys and you find out that she's their boss her name's milano she shows up like, she's figured out how to do the teleport. And did it better. And did it better. And shows up and is like, ha ha, I'm evil and I'm here to bring you home. You guys are all bad liars. Oh, by the way, I killed your father. You are. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, by the way, I killed your father. Just like, boop, your dad's dead. And it's like, oh boy, they're going to fight or something's going to happen. And then Selfine, who, princess, the princess is like suddenly possessed like eyes are different talking differently yeah i mean she has a glow you. on uh, she, she turned on the high beams yeah and it doesn't tell you whether or not it's the path down or if she's being possessed or if she's utilizing like tapping into some of her own magic because no, she sure states that she wants down. to learn how uh, just because she uh 
uh, had a complete personality shift and she was radiating energy. And that this was immediately after uh, them talking about uh, uh, her her father being dead. Yeah. Um, and then Raton is like, oh, no, not now. Like, she knows what's going on, but we don't. And then it just ends. And it's like, come come back for chapter two. And then it comes back to the title screen. And Rune is now on the title screen with them. Uh, traveling. Yeah, traveling. And it's cute. I mean, if it's not the path down, I'd be surprised. There, yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff in here. Like I said, I was gonna do like a very quick overview, and we still got into some things. <laughs> yeah. but there's still so because I mean, essentially, there's no way for us to fully explain, particularly the massive amount of like flashback POV POV shifting stuff. Yeah, this might be one of those uh, rare kinetic stories that actually does pay off a lot more to read the second time. Yeah, because you'd have at least some understanding of what's going on, and you could pick up on stuff that maybe you missed the first time around because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out who's what. Yeah, when usually kinetic novels are like a one shot and uh, done, but I think this one might be a two shotter. So, uh, are there any specific themes or philosophical anything you want to discuss? I would say there are any characters in particular. I would say, uh, well, uh, the science and religion was interesting, but they, you know, it felt like they picked it up just to uh, mention it and then put it back down, which was a little frustrating that they even brought it up at that point. Uh, but the measure of a man, uh, well, or woman, I guess, in this point, uh, was a very interesting discussion. Uh, yeah, just uh, the board members going back and forth because uh, would it be murder to disassemble Rune to figure out what her father did to resurrect her. Yeah. The, 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 the part that I found most interesting was their sort of take on a post scarcity society and how that reflects on a society that is intended to be more modern in the real world in Mm -hmm. nature. Like you think about post scarcity is like, they have no wants. They have no needs. Everything is easily provided. And this is covered in the, the long backstory portion. But essentially, in this, in the world where magic is, is prominent, prevalent, there is, there has been a, a period of 60 years where there has been no war, where everyone just sort of does what they want. Everything is equal. Because of magic, people can essentially communicate telepathically with each other. They mind meld on the regular. There's equality between in the game at one point for a fairly long sequence. There's equality, like there's there's gender equality. There's no prejudice, nothing, and how alien it is to come to a place where there's money and people have you know, wants and desires and needs uh, that, slavery, that, that slavery was just recently abolished. Mm-hmm. That there is gender discrimination that like all of these things. And it's just like mind blowing to them, which I do understand from like the story's perspective, like, because both of these girls are very young. I think they're 19. Both yeah, of them. Yeah. Or... Late teens, uh, late teens, early twenties. Um, let's see. It doesn't say, unfortunately, on, uh, the visual novel database. I do believe, uh, Selfly was, uh, 19 because they mentioned the CEO was 22 and he was only three years older or something like that. Yeah. 
So, you know, they've, they've, yeah. So they've spent their entire life living in essentially a paradise where they want for nothing. And, you know, they go to a place where that it's not like that. Well, not just that, but also the path down, uh, makes it so that their ruler always, uh, is highly qualified and, uh, is able to draw on a vast amount of knowledge and experience to make the right decisions. Yeah, and the current king is the one who is, has helmed the 60 years of peace. And it's expected that the princess, when she becomes queen, will be able to do the same, utilizing, you know, the carefully crafted policies and experience that her father had before him. And they're just amazed by the fact that, like, no, it's not them. It's Albus, one of the the uh, board member guys, is amazed that they're able to do this. And they're shocked that it's like, well, how do you like choose the next person? Like, how do you give yeah, the, them the experience? And he's like, well, I mean, we <laughs> teach them and we do the best we yeah, can. Yeah, we use our but... words and writing. Uh, they uh, go into, uh, well, how's the next CEO? Uh, what's the ceremony? And Albus yeah. is completely uh, flabbergasted about what they're asking, you know? Just completely yeah. confused. But I think they do a good job of using this... The fish out of water experience allows you to take a character and put them in a situation that feels very real and use that to comment on the situation. And you can use it to deal with real world issues, current events, um, things involving like racism, sexism, and putting these two characters or having these two characters come from a post scarcity society where up until, you know, in their world, literally a couple of days ago, everything was perfect. And dropping them in this extreme fish out of water situation, they're able to approach these philosophical questions with a great deal of sincerity because these two girls are just, I don't want to say pure or innocent. Those are the wrong words, but they seem to represent the best that humanity can be. And they're being taken to a place that's very grimy and dirty and real. And they just want the best, and they don't understand how things work in the outside world. Well, not just that, but they uh, talk time and time again how uh, essentially uh, they have to work harder because of the lack of magic that uh, they feel that the god of mana has forsaken them, so they have to do everything on their own, which uh, comes up in the kind of the science versus uh, a technology uh, portion of the show where, or part of the uh, story where uh, both sides did have uh, compelling arguments, but they never really felt fleshed out where uh, working with mana is working in God's domain. But at the same time, uh, do you, uh, should you not try to improve your station and just deal with what you have? Yeah. But now this story also does a good job of not completely condemning the, the griminess of the world and it no, is no they showed it as a virtue that they've advanced so far a matter of fact there were several times that they were amazed about some of the stuff that they were able to do that seemed mundane to the residents of that country that uh, they were able to do it without mana or yeah. without uh, the mana they, they're used to because they are still using mana in a way just they're using what they have very efficiently yeah um, cause they have sort of trace amounts of mana in the air and then they're able to mine mana sort of like we would mine, you know, well, uh, coal. coal, 
Well, they actually yeah, I mean, they, they well, make well, that well, comparison well, in not not just make it, but the mine that they are using was a former coal mine. That uh, right. Sid uh, said they I think it's actually a man of mine if we just go deeper. So you know, it's a direct comparison between the two, but it also makes yeah. you wonder since it's so scarce, what happens when uh, it becomes uh, you know even more so. But this is also well, a world that they could just import it. Yeah, and they've answered sort of answered that question already because the other company, their competing company that only comes up in a couple of the flashback scenes, they say that they figured out how to collect mana from sort of the border where the concentration starts to increase, bring it back and refine it. Like they gather it from the air uh, and then they have to sort of purify it or filter it to mm-hmm. make it usable. Yeah, which but is actually that's... stealing some of their technology, uh, the uh, uh, Sid's technology to be able to do it, but he doesn't care. Yeah, because he doesn't realize what they're doing at first. So he's like, you know, screw them. They're wasting their time. Although <laughs> I like that, like, this company was trying to figure out how to use electricity by yeah. collecting lightning. <laughs> but, and then I do like, too, that uh, he's like, I mean, if mana wasn't a thing, I'd be trying to collect lightning in a bottle, too. Yeah, totally Tesla, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit of, of Ben Franklin, a little bit, a little bit of Tesla. But, yeah. So they, I mean, they've kind of answered that question too, which is another interesting thing that just popped into my head, like the difference in renewable energy sources versus non-renewable energy mm-hmm. sources. Like they're getting an e, well, air quotes, easy amounts, or e- they can easily access an energy source by digging it from the ground. But when it's all gone, what are they going to do? And there's this other company that is using, you know, the equivalent of a renewable energy source because they're collecting it from the air. And then turning it into something. That's another question I didn't even look about or think about that may or may not have been intended, but there it is. Although it's pretty glossed over in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, at so. least in this game. Because yeah. they're, they're still in this country. They're, they barely get outside the town and the game ends. Yeah. So there are there are many excellent deep questions that are brought up asked by this game and i don't think the game answers any of them except i feel like the game does take a stand and say that regardless of what someone a a person might become on the outside as long as they're human on the inside that's what matters the most yeah and that's an interesting thing to think about because there's a podcast i listen to i've talked about it before it's science and futurism with sfia isaac something or other and he talks at great length about what it's it might potentially mean to be human in the future when we might have the potential to create clones or download our consciousness to a computer or become cyborgs or androids you know by replacing most of our body or the potential for genetic engineering for us to turn ourselves into something else it's like at what point do we say you're human or not human or a person or not a person and I think the game very clearly says, like, it doesn't matter as long as you behave like a person. You have emotion and feeling and empathy towards other people, then you're a human. Yeah, which makes the argument, was Rune originally a human and became human? Because they talked about how she seemed inhuman in the beginning uh, when she was a real little girl to for lack of a better term. Uh, but because of the defect in her mind, 
where she lacked the heart, was she human then? And did she become human when she became a cyborg or android or whatever? It's kind of the flip side of that as well. Yeah. Which are which is an equally good question. I, and again, yeah, I think the game is taking a stand that no, she wasn't truly a human. Like she was, you know, homo sapien. You know, she was, uh, you know, she had the chromosomes of a, of a human being. But she didn't have the she heart. Wasn't, yeah, so she wasn't maybe a person. I don't know, like, the right terminology to use for this, but she was more than an animal. You know, she was more than yeah. animal instincts. Um, and that feels like a bit of an oversimplification, too, but mm-hmm. I don't have the right words to use. But hopefully anyone listening uh, gets what I mean. So, um, do you have any other points that you'd like to bring up questions potentially for me from a psychological standpoint. Um, uh, no, I think like we that. pretty much covered it. I mean, I think the main uh, thing was, well, well, the other thing I guess would have been, you know, if the board didn't, or I should say Frito didn't have a change of heart because he had essentially the deciding factor. Uh, was it murder to try to disassemble Rune? Was it attempted murder? Which, you know, then you get into, uh, you know, where you fall on the human versus machine. Yeah, I, you know, that was legally, like, you know, because there's different ways to approach that question. I would say legally, probably not, just because they don't have, machines don't have personhood. They don't have any rights in this universe that has been presented to us. Um, but ethically or morally maybe a little bit more of a gray area depending on how you feel about what actually makes someone a person or a human or whatever the appropriate term is i mean i would say that yes it is from my own personal uh standpoint on that and you know based on the story i'd say that it would be attempted murder to disassemble her or to try and disassemble her not just a symbol. <laughs> but, um, what is it yeah. from KSP? Rapid unplanned disassembly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, this had, no, this was planned. <laughs> and Rito was essentially looking for an, an excuse to do it for quite a while. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot from this game I, that I really wasn't expecting. I mean, I didn't know what the story was at all going into it, but that's kind of, uh, you know, the point of Game Club was to, you know, go into something like this. So to have uh, this big a surprise where we could talk, uh, you know, for over an hour about it when it's, what, a five-hour game is quite the thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we could dissect, I think, individual story bits a little bit longer, but... You know, even sort of giving a a little bit a, a top down view, not going too deeply into scene by scene dissection. I mean, we still got pretty deep into this story, and it it asks you a lot of questions. And I, I don't think it punishes you for having a different answer. Like it doesn't. It it takes a stand, but it doesn't make me feel like I would be wrong if I took the opposite viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the only time it really came off as preaching to me was when they were in the church. Yeah, 
Well, I think well, that, that was... makes sense, though. You go to church, you get a sermon. <laughs> oh. Oh, you went there. <laughs> oh. Who knows? Maybe that's what they were doing deliberately. Maybe. Uh, they really did make the preacher an unlikable character, though, didn't they? He was, yeah. I think that they were trying to say science good, religion bad. That's how that scene came across to me, but it was done very poorly. Yeah. I would say that was kind of... Well, that and the opening sequence are kind of the low points. Yeah. I agree. Um, What was the opening sequence? What was up with that, like... Girl holding a boy oh, dying the prologue? in the woods? No idea. Okay. All right. That doesn't I, I, ever I, come back up again. I, I read it. I think that's tied into the... Because technically this is uh, the second part of an overarching thing, but this is the first part of another arc. Because if I go to faults, uh No, no, the prequel is uh, coming out, which it takes place... Be- Five years before the uh, the events of Milestone One, so uh, this th- th- story gets very confusing, doesn't it? Yeah, but if this is a prequel, I thought that the girl was telling the dying boy the story, or was about to tell him the story. I do like a uh, fault silence of the pendant, which is the upcoming uh, prequel to this. Uh, mm-hmm. Planned release date when it is ready. <laughs> it does look uh, like they uh, really refined the art style in this. Have you looked at it? Uh, no, I haven't. It looks like it's a little bit more interactive, but I can't really tell. Uh, do I need to send you a link to it? No, I'm looking at it right now on Steam. Looks like they uh kind of polished the art style a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, especially the background art. Yeah. No, it looks like there's more interactivity. Play. Yeah, interactivity to it. Even though it's a little hard to tell exactly what's going on with it. But I guess we'll find out uh, later because I imagine that we'll want to continue this at some point, huh? Yeah, I think this prequel is supposed to release this year. Ish. Uh, if it's ready. Well, 2019 and then Fault see, Milestone. The, the demo we're releasing. Side Below. See, the. Uh, it looks like there is a demo or going to be a demo. The demo is a pre-release version. It's not reflective of the final product. You may experience issues that are, will not be present on upon release. Music and other content is not finalized. It may be subject to change. The demo will be released in three parts. The first part is out now. Second to follow next week. I'm not sure when they put this out. And third one to release during Anime Expo. Which Anime Expo is... In July. I see. So, uh, even the demo for the uh, upcoming game is episodic. <laughs> They've got another game called Magna Gramura, Gramura and Fairy Bell. And it looks like a chibi version. I mean, it's not the same story, but the art style is like a chibi version of that. I wonder if they're connected. I mean, it's made by the same people, Alice in Chains. Or no, sorry, Allison Dissonance on Allison Chains. Yeah, Allison Chains. band, Ch- right? Allison Singer. Chains. Singer. But, uh, is it just me or are these characters the ones that are in the pre- uh, prologue, though? 
Oh, they might be. A boy and a girl in the woods? It looks oh, like... Oh, no. I just got, like, shivers. I don't want the boy and the girl to die in the woods that's in the cute chibi art style with the fairy. I mean, that looks like them, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, now I'm sad. I guess I'll have to buy it and find <laughs> out. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'll just bummed you out. Maybe. I mean, it'd still be a beautiful story. I could, I'm okay if a story makes me sad. I can handle that. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add at this point. All that's really left that I can think of is to dissect individual scenes, which I yeah, but we already confirmed that that's going to be do. murder if we do that. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um. So yeah, do you have any final thing? Uh, are I, we? I would say that it's very rough to start, and there it's definitely could have used a little bit more polish, or uh, or it may just be a cultural thing. That's also a severe possibility. Uh, but I will say that if you're a fan of visual novels, it is definitely worth a check out to you know, see if it's for you. And it often goes on sale for a pretty steep discount. And there's two parts out. Uh, third part, which is a prequel, which hopefully will explain what the hell in the opening sequence, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, should be out this year. So a fair amount of content for 15 bucks, which is not too shabby, especially for the visual novel genre, or medium, or whatever. So, yeah, I would say definitely check it out, but it's one of those that, you know, sit down, grit your teeth, and start clicking. Yeah. Once you hit no, the I, end of the first chapter, it, it it's a lot smoother sailing. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed this game. I liked it a lot. And, you know, I already recommended it when we kind of wrapped up before we got to spoiler stuff, but even more so having talked about it. There, I there's think a lot here. This is, there, yeah, there's a lot here. And it's, it is cute and it's fun and it's funny, but it also is very deep, um, and presents a lot of interesting questions to you, the, the reader, the viewer, whatever. Uh, and, you know, I know games can do that, but I don't feel like this comes along too often in any genre, in any, you know, type of, of game related thing. Like that's, this is more rare than, than common. And I think that it's, it's worth it if you are even remotely interested in this type of, of game, gameplay or storytelling medium. Um, you know, if you hate visual novels, I don't think this is enough to change your mind. Yeah. I will say that it's aspect. not overly anime i mean the, the you do have the huge eyes but they're in proper proportion and i thought it is yeah hang on i just noticed something about the art style but take a look at the art style of the mana users versus the non-mana users um is this going to be vis- visible on the uh, visual uh, novel database yeah um i don't quite uh, the mana users are drawn a lot more of an anime art style, while the mundanes, for lack of a better term, are a lot more realistic. The normies. The muggles! That makes sense, though. I, I do see it in the eyes now that I'm looking at it. Uh, that, that's, Rune has got big eyes, too. Yeah, but, yeah, but Rune is also robotic, so... 
But when it comes to the style of dress and things, that I felt like was yeah, explained Rune, for story reasons. Yeah, yeah Rune is the uh, even uh, humanoid Rune. If you go to spoil me, it shows both robotic and uh, original. Rune is kind of the outlier there, but that also may be conducive of uh, children that you know they have bigger heads and bigger eyes in proportion to their uh, proportion to their body. Yeah. And also, it does mention something about the ending and makes an appearance that I just noticed. Who makes an appearance? Where? Uh, it makes an appearance. Make sure you hit spoil me in the tags. Yeah, I'm on spoil me. Uh, well, for, Under the- well, for me, I'm seeing a third person and makes an appearance. Oh. Cool. So, I was right. Yeah. Wait, what was so Selfine Ray is Reagan the is that his name, the king? Yeah. Okay. Engages in fighting possession. Okay. Role magician, queen regent, telepath. Or the or the original, because hang on, now now I gotta go. I wonder if cause the spoiler discussion that I saw on Maybe on Maybe it's like he possesses her body during the first part of the path down. No, no, that, no that's not then, her father's name. So it, that may be oh. like grandfather or uh, grandmother. Or it could be a new entity that's created by the merging of her personality with True. the previous, all of the previous stuff and things. Yeah, the ending just got a lot more interesting, huh? Yeah. I want to go start the second one even more now. I'm I'm not going to right now, not tonight, <laughs> but I, I wanna. No, you're going to go play Gilded Engineering. I might, depending on how much longer we do this. Well, it's almost midnight. Yeah, but first of all, we need to talk about two game clubs that are coming up because we have something special coming. Indeed. So next month's game club is going to be Enter the Gungeon. Um, we, so we had this happen twice this year now. We both had Enter the Gungeon Yeah, but list. to be fair, we've let the list kind of, uh, get depopulated. So it, it becomes more and more, uh, likely as we pull things off, either because we've done them or, uh, we had a couple MMOs that's gotten, uh, deactivated. So we pulled them from the list because, well, can't play a, a MMO that isn't, uh, active anymore. That's not City of Heroes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but so we're going to be doing Enter the Gungeon for next month after having a, I think this is probably why we both put this on our list. Maybe we talked about it, but I forgot. But after having a, a visual novel, like a hundred percent story based game, uh, or narrative based, we wanted something that was more mechanics based. So we wound up picking, uh, Enter the Gungeon. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering we something that was, uh, not as heavy on story for the next month. Right. Which we had already discussed this and figured this out. A month ago. Yeah. I, uh, this was when I was on my kick, uh, big time for, uh, uh, ta- uh, tactical games because I wanted something to, you know, kind of scratch that itch. I was feeling it. And I was going through a bunch of mobile titles trying to figure out, okay, is there anything halfway decent here? And I eventually thought, you know, just emulate the damn thing and go back to a game that I played a little bit, but never beat. Which was Final Fantasy Tactics. 
And as a lark, I mentioned, you know, I'll just put Final Fantasy Tactics uh, on my list for the, uh, for July because it's going to be a long month. And you lit up. <laughs> yeah. So I've played, and this is the original PS1 version. If you happen to have an original copy, by all means, feel free to play it on your, uh, original PlayStation. But otherwise, we're going to emulate it and, you know, feel welcome to do so. Um, if you've never emulated a title before, feel free to contact either of us for, to get some help. Yeah, it's not or, like you know, uh, anyone here has actually built an emulated console. <laughs> yeah. There's also, you know, a million and one guides you could probably Google. I mean, if you get stuck, you could ask for help too. But bunches of people in the, in the community, as well as both of us, have done emulation before. So, um, yeah, and this will be our second foray into emulation, and hopefully it'll be better than the last time for Game Club. Yeah. So, uh, we've each tested, I think I've tested it. Did you I, test it? I don't know. I think I loaded it up, but I hadn't uh, gone uh, far enough in to really test it, but it should be all right. Yeah, so I tested it, and it seems to be working fine for me. So, um, we'll be doing Final Fantasy Tactics, which is a bit longer. Um which, and also, there's a decent amount of story in it. So, you know, if you want to get started on it now, feel free. You'll have two months. Yeah, which is why um, we uh, announced it now and uh, it was part of the design to do something that was, uh, you know, kind of lighter, more mechanics focused. Yeah. And then this is going to be July's Game Club. Yep. So, so we have Enter the Gungeon for June and Final Fantasy Tactics for July. July has got one, two, three, four, five weeks. Yeah, just by five Tuesdays. Yeah, so, so July, it's a long month. Yeah, uh, end of the dungeons uh, recording date will be on June twenty fifth, and then uh, Final Fantasy Tactics will be July thirtieth. Mm-hmm. So, yay, game club. Yeah. Cool games, fun games. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we uh, did Shadow of the Colossus thinking it was going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, and it was not. I, like I said, I've played Final Fantasy Tactics before. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I was I played a kid. It. Yeah, so this may be another case of nostalgia. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, it might be. And if it turns out that it sucks. Um, we, you know, we reserve the right to pull the plug on it and change something else out. But right now, uh, we're both looking forward to this. So, yay games. Yay game club. Um, so we have been recording for over two and a half hours and it is slightly past midnight. So I vote that we cover community corner quickly and then wrap up then the you go turn into a pumpkin yeah yeah my voice is starting to get a little raspy okay so uh then we'll briskly uh swiftly head over to community corner which we didn't have any emails or do we have any tweets I don't have any emails uh, no tweets. not that all okay so really all we need to talk about is community game night um obviously there was not one this week i was house sitting for my parents and i was back at my own home yesterday, but uh, I still just essentially enjoyed a relaxing day because I didn't know when I was going to get back. So, 
Uh, I hope everyone had a relaxing Memorial Day weekend if you're in the United States and just a good weekend and a, a good Monday if you're not. Um, this coming week, we are going to be taking another shot at Pandemic. Now that we have had some experience uh, playing it and read sort of the sort of beginner suggested rules, we're going to be using th- some things that make it hopefully more likely that we're going to win. No promises. But, um, you know, while a, a huge part of Pandemic is losing and sort of the fun of losing, it does still feel good to win, especially when you're new to the game, learning the ropes. Makes you feel like you can do it. So no, it's one, Dwarf Fortress. Gonna, losing is fun. So now that we've got a handle on the mechanics, we're going to take another stab at it and see if we can win. Uh, and we will discuss a couple of weeks out from there. Um, I've got a couple of, of ideas to talk about with the group. And That's then you've got, do it. <laughs> and then we've got those games which you mentioned to me was it last week, uh, a couple weeks ago now, a couple weeks ago, yeah, uh, that we can also present to the group as potential. And as always, if anyone has any suggestions for community game night, feel free to drop them in Discord, shoot us a message on our respective Steam profiles, send us an email, uh, send up a smoke signal. I don't know if either of us will catch it, but you know, you never know. It's worth a shot. So, oh no! That with the is with, that. with the Midwest uh, just uh, being well, uh, raining as hell and tornadoes and everything else, I think the smoke signal will get lost and everything. Fair, that's fair. Maybe smoke signals is a bad idea. Send a carrier pigeon, or if you're a Game of Thrones fan, send a raven. Yeah, which if you're a Game of Thrones fan, sorry. Question mark? (laughs) If, uh, I'm not just going to go into a dissection of season eight of Game of Thrones, but if, if any listeners want to, to hear that, just send some stuff into the show. I could record some bonus content for a Franken episode. Uh, Does this sound like a rant to me or? No, it's not a rave either. There's some good points to season eight. There's some bad points to season eight. And I think, just very generally, very briefly, for just a moment, that there's a lot of people on the internet expected it to be a way that it wasn't, and they flipped shit. That's a huge part of what I think is going on. Because there there is some good stuff in those last six episodes. There's some bad stuff, and there's one consistent problem that keeps coming up, which is it was rushed. But, you know, it's not a complete and total you know, disaster like the internet has made it out to be. So it's a very brief overview. And if you want to know more, write into the show and let me know. I would be more than happy to record something about it. Yeah, and if you wish to do that, vglpodcast at gmail.com or on the Twitter, vglpodcast. Uh, I guess at this point, given where we're going, I'm going to say, hey, Rage, Hit them with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the YouTubes, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. Or you can find me on Twitter, uh, uh, well, uh, Gaming with CR. There, uh, sorry, my voice is about gone and I'm a little loopy. But I'm not having a stroke like you. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, Twitter. oh no, it's spread. <laughs> Twitter uh, is Gaming with CR. And maybe someday I'll be back on Twitch. Caffeine underscore rage. And you've been? 
I have been Gaming Psychologist. You can follow me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at JMA4707. I engaged in a bit of discussion today about uh, trans culture with a trans friend that I have. And there were some silly jokes and a couple of serious back and forth tweets. So, you know, you never know what I'm going to talk about. I might just yell about politics. I might talk about video games. In a while, I'm going to have to poke you on that. And I might just be talking, or I might just talk about stuff in my own life. Yeah, did you hear that that inside the president's cup was just nothing but McDonald's French fries? That makes sense. I mean, and honestly, given all of the shit that's going on, that's kind (laughs) of the least of my worries. I'm kind of envious of that cup full of French fries. If I eat those, I risk going into a coma. So, you know. Yay. Chronic conditions. But anyways, enough about my health. The final place you can contact me is uh, on Steam. If you want to be my friend, send a friend request to jarthur4707. It's it's back. (laughs) jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests and like to talk to lovely people. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Measure of a Man. Nice. The Measure of a Man. And also a very good Star Trek episode, which is kind of uh, poignant for this. Mm-hmm. There's some some big parallels to that in there. Yeah, which is just, why, just I cho- which is why I chose the phrase plus, uh, you know. Uh, well, you did mention data before, and you know that's the episode that they threatened to disassemble them. Yep. Uh, that's another series that, uh, or another. Uh, uh, medium, uh, well, I guess sci-fi is, or this as well, where they could take a look at social issues without coming across as preachy by having parallels. Like, back in the 80s, they talked about uh, gender identification on an st- episode of Star Trek. Yeah, the they did that in a few episodes. There was one well, where that they had well, the, the person who had three genders. Well, I was talking about the, the third asexual, gender, the asexual uh, species that uh, uh, pretty much identified uh, as uh, a mixture of uh, male and female, and one that wanted to be as uh, pretty much exclusively female and bone Riker, or have Riker yep. bone her. Yep. Yep. Actually, I'm thinking of an episode of Star Trek Enterprise where they had a, a species that had three genders. Very, very similar in concept, though, to the yeah. See, I didn't watch too Next much Enterprise, and we don't talk uh, about Discovery. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen Discovery. Um, and then there's also what's the one where that? Oh, they go to like a reverse planet where that women are in charge, or the female sex is in charge of everything, and uh, male sex is the one that is more subservient, more. You know, I mean, essentially they gender swapped culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an interesting episode because they, all the, the ladies love, again, they want to bone Riker because he's like this very strong it's man. The beard. And they're like, it's the beard. this is, uh, to be fair, I want to bone Riker. And it is the beard. He's, he looks weird without a beard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why the term uh, growing the beard uh, became a thing. Growing the beard, jumping the shark. What else is there? Um, but anyways, yeah, that was a, a that's a good, uh, good pull there for the password. Yeah, I thought you would enjoy it. And something else you may enjoy is once again, you could, uh, reach us via email, vglpodcast at gmail.com with your alerts, voicemails, gaming related topics, 
or just tweet them to us, VGL Podcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have helped pay for, uh, well, the procedure that's going to fix Jared's stroke over the course of the next week. You could uh, contribute to his health fund. Um, okay, the the podcast fund. Patreon.com slash VGL Podcast. And our lovely patrons have made our Podbean account possible, which is hosting this. B, uh, VGLpodcast.podbean.com was host the RSS feed, the show notes, links to all our stuff online. And yes, I do mean all of it. Even the stuff you don't want to see. Or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and downtrip music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at Computech.com and... As always, as this lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time.